Hello and welcome to the back page of Video Games Podcast. I'm Samba Roberts and I'm joined not by Matthew Castle but by Phil Savage. How's it going, Phil? Hi, uh, I'm good. Uh, we were just discussing off air that I'm in a war plat and I've had to close all of the windows because there are people frolicking in a meadow outside. Yeah, you do live next to a meadow, which is a very bath thing to be, uh, mm-hmm. you know, bath place to be situated. Um, I, I am, I feel bad about that, Phil. I'll try and keep it to <laughs> under ninety minutes with that in mind, um, so you don't boil to death. But uh, yeah, thank you for joining me. So, um, Phil is a returning guest, UK editor in chief of PC Gamer. That's right. <laughs> that is right, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, sorry, you went quiet then. I was like. <laughs> No, that's good. Yeah, I kind of thought um, just in case you've been promoted and I'd missed it, the, the tweet somehow. But um, no, I think we're I think we're good. Um, so on this week's episode, we're going to talk about the Destiny games, hopefully in a way that makes it sound fun or at least interesting to normies. That's what I've written in my notes here. Um, so Phil, I wanted to ask, how's it going? Mm. Um, how is that? We are recording this um, a little while after the not E three kind of like um, bonanza. Um, how have you found the kind of like continuous years of covering that? in the um in the the kind of pandemic times uh it's been i mean for one thing i do miss kind of the hustle and bustle and especially the restaurants of la um <laughs> and not being able to get out there and actually see people in person um so yeah that that's definitely a a big difference in how we cover the event or the lack of an event i guess this year and it was a weird one, I feel, this year. Like, looking around at what was announced, there's a bunch of stuff. Not many things, I would say, like, feel like obvious things to get excited about. Or things that I'm looking forward to, but I have concerns. Or I'm just like, well, I don't know if this is actually going to be to my tastes. Um, like, for instance, um, Midnight Suns feels like a thing I should be getting excited about. This is the Firaxis Marvel game. Um, but really just because it's the next game from the guys from X- who made XCOM 2, which I loved. Um, I don't actually care about Marvel stuff, though, and I don't <laughs> really like card-based combat systems, which this is using, so it's like, well, I'm prepared to give it a chance, but I yeah. really don't know how it's going to go. And I feel like I'm the same with a lot of what was announced this year. Mm. Yeah, I think Jeremy says something similar about Marvel's Midnight Suns. It's a game that... I have read two previews of now and still don't entirely understand what it is. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, when it gets here, I will play it by default, much like you. But uh, yeah, you're not not a card game guy. You uh, you play Monster Train. That's a good card game. I thought you'd probably enjoy that. I haven't actually played that. So uh, I did play Slay the Spire a few times, and I kind mm. of fell off just because uh, Evan in our office and a few others were really into it and i'd listen to them talk about strategies and realize oh i'm i'm like so many tens of hours away from being on that level and the process of getting there and the amount of failing that i'll need to do to figure it out kind of feels exhausting yeah i, I felt that way about slay the spy too like which is objectively very good but it's mm. a game that's like it kind of asks how do you feel about being kicked in the balls like 10 <laughs> times an hour and i will just keep doing that and it's it's a tough sell um monster train like has basically like a two ways of completing it which is like a babby way of completing it and then like um you kind of take on this optional currency which kind of unlocks the much harder sort of end game mode of it and that that two layer approach to it means that you can sort of like feel clever even if you're not clever so um you know hey it it might be a good one to play on the old steam deck at at some point phil but um sounds good is anything else was there anything else about in like the not e3 mix that you're kind of excited about or at least kind of cautiously excited about 
I mean, so the thing that um, Wes and Morgan, who did play a few sort of demos at one of the events that was happening in LA, um, the thing that they were raving about was Dark Tide um, mm. from Fat Shark. And obviously, I was a big uh, Vermintide fan. And so, again, it's one of those things where, like, the actual setting doesn't really... I mean, I don't mind Warhammer and Warhammer 40k. They seem interesting, but I don't have that history with them or that sort of breadth of knowledge about them. So, really, when I was playing Vermintide, it was less about, like, the lore and the setting and how accurate it was to, to this sort of fiction as much as it feels really good to smash some rats in the face. And... Yeah, I, if if Fat Shark is that and it's sci-fi, then fine, cool. Yeah, yeah. Like um, you and I mostly played Vermintide and Vermintide two together. So um, yeah. you know, unless you may have played some more alongside, I'm not sure. But like, um, I think we felt similarly that the second one slightly overcomplicated things with like um, you know crafting mechanics and stuff. Yeah, but, uh, I, both games have really incomprehensible crafting systems. That uh, that was definitely a problem throughout. And. I think I think the place we fell off was the Winds of Magic expansion, which added like this new sort of infinitely replayable campaign system, uh, mm. but also reset all of the progress you'd made on weapons and things. Uh, it had its own progression system to attach to it, and that that became quite yeah. hard to sort of want to persist with when you were losing all the things you'd built up before. Mm. Whereas I think like you and I and like everyone we played with was kind of united behind the idea of. What if a kind of really good variant on Left 4 Dead with good melee combat and excellent bants between different characters? Absolutely. And so, yeah, I feel like that's maybe where Dark Tide's really going to thrive. It's just like four kind of like weirdos in the 40k universe just sort of like, you know, um, boshing different alien lads and such. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I share your enthusiasm for that. Um, and I'll, I will have to rejoin uh, the old Egg Clan server when um, it rolls around to make sure I get some multiplayer in with you uh, with you guys. So, yes. uh, a, a name yeah. I still don't regret to this day. <laughs> that will be relevant in this conversation, actually. So that's... Uh, it that's will good. be, actually, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. <laughs> So, Phil, last time you came on was was uh, the Yakuza episode. You were one of our first guests. I was very grateful to have you on. Um, is there anything we should retroactively change about the Yakuza ranking now that Lost Judgment came out? Have you got around to playing this one yet? So, uh, yeah, this is where I have to make an admission and say that I've not actually played Lost Judgment yet. Um, right. For a couple of reasons, really. Um, one is just that uh, Yakuza 7 is such a big game anyway that uh, by the time Lost Judgment came around, I was still wrapping up some of the sort of final challenges and the hard mode stuff in that. Um, and the other, I think possibly slightly sad reason, is that this is the first time I've been... Based on when I got into the Accuser series, this is kind of the first time there's not been one to look forward to after this. Um, right. Like, the studio hasn't announced what they're making yet or like what Yakuza 8 will be or when it will come out um, whereas previously there'd always been like a backlog of games that had been released in Japan and you know you knew they were going to come across uh, to Europe eventually it was just a case of when um, so it's like oh actually I can just save this one because I'm not looking down the barrel of like a nine game series anymore <laughs> I'm caught up pretty much uh, so yeah. yeah I'm just sort of holding that on to savor for when the time is right <laughs> yeah the uh the, the hard work that um 2017 and 2016 phil did is now <laughs> paying off in uh 2022 yeah. so uh yeah that's completely fair um yeah that kind of makes sense uh so so yeah so i'll circle back in a, a year or so and uh find out how you feel about that how, how are you feeling about the old uh 
creative lead exodus that happened uh, there to, as they went off to go and make something else uh, a netties i think a negotiating company were you kind of like uh, had any thoughts on that um i think i'm i'm like i'm very interested to see what they're doing like it, it, there's always an opportunity with a split like this especially when you know, it's someone who is very much part of the DNA of the series, but wasn't necessarily like involved with the nitty gritty of what that series became towards the end. Like, you know, it's a big team. A lot of people had a hand in what Yakuza Seven was, and a lot of them have stayed and are working on the next thing. Um, mm. So, so that sort of gives me a confidence that yeah, okay, like the people who work in that studio definitely know what that series is and should be, and they will continue to sort of work with that in mind. Um, and so now we've got Negoshi, who's gone off, and he's going to seed those ideas into new things as well. Um, so the best-case scenario of that is that you just sort of get those philosophies and sort of design ideas that you loved, filter them way out into even more projects and more studios as like people leave and start new projects and stuff. Um, that's the kind of optimistic view uh, that I choose to take with no evidence <laughs> to the contrary right now. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good, a good way to be. It's like I, I suddenly get double the content as a result of this. Um, where the people come from to make it all, I have no idea, but I'm, I'm prepared to believe that that is the case. Um, kind, of, kind of like almost like a, a sort of city management sim approach to um, uh, sort of like, you know, sort of thinking about game developers. So, uh, yeah, I quite like that. Um I did want to ask about having a Steam Deck, Phil. So you have one. I'm a little bit jealous. I'm waiting till uh, July to September for mine. Um, so what's life been like uh, with, with that, and uh, what have you been playing on it? Um, so mostly, what I've been playing is uh, visual novels, beloved visual novels like the Zero Escape series. Um, mm. So I went through that trilogy, and I've just started with um, the, the same studio sort of next game, the uh, what's it, AI, the Somnium Files. Trying to remember the names of these things is always <laughs> a struggle. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's been a really good like I think just on its own, just like that out of the box experience there when you load up what is essentially kind of a comically large Steam uh OS thing and just browse through your library. Um that that's been great just as a way to catch up on all the games that I have on Steam that I don't actually want to play when I'm sat at a desktop. Um, hmm. I find visual novels like it's just better to have a handheld device and you know you're you're on the sofa or wherever catching up with it like that rather than sat at a desk uh, clicking a mouse forever. Get enough <laughs> of that in the day job. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's been good, and then. What's kind of fascinating to me about it, um, outside of the game stuff, is like how much it feels like owning a PC as well. Um, there's a lot of things it's clear that you can do uh, just with like having a Linux operating system on a handheld device that I haven't even scratched the surface of, and it is quite intimidating to approach. Um, right, and then there's there's been a couple of times already where you know I've just tested something and it's not quite worked, and I've thought, ah, oh, I guess that just doesn't work on this. And then you find a forum thread, and they're like, no, if you go and download this obscure thing or load up this experimental version of Steam's Proton operating system, then it'll be fine. And you're like, okay, yeah, this is like PC gaming ten years ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, very familiar. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's, that's quite cool. 
some uh, pretty wild stuff that people are doing with it in terms of like you know emulation and many other things yeah so, or just uh, um like I, I saw a, a guide to how to get like the epic game store and things like that working through it so i was like okay well i'll try this because uh maybe i can play like guardians of the galaxy or something uh, which i mm. got on the epic store like through the steam deck and i tried it and it absolutely didn't work and i don't know why it didn't work <laughs> and again that's an interesting problem that maybe i'll get around to solving at some point <laughs> Yeah, I must admit that was the first thing I looked up the other day when I was thinking about Steam Deck. It was like, can I access the, um, you know, all of the free games basically that Epic has given away on a device that is not intended to play them um, in theory? But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I sort of, the one I really want to try on there is uh, XCOM Two. I don't suppose you've given that a try, have you? No, I haven't. So I've um, I've downloaded like uh, was it uh, Desperados Three and Shadow Tactics and, uh, and some of those sorts of games because apparently. Um, Shadow Tactics is is marked as verified on Steam Deck for whatever mm. that's worth. Um, yeah, and Desperados was a game I sort of started with, um, quite enjoyed, but never got very far. So I was like, I'll give that another go. Um, but I've not actually tried them yet to see how it quite works. It's, it's kind of interesting seeing that and seeing like the um, sort of CRPG style things like uh, Disco Elysium and Divinity Original Sin 2 and thinking, okay, this is this is perhaps more of a a desktop experience than I would expect for a handheld, but I'll give mm. it a go. Like, you know, it, maybe that is a good format for it. Um, but sometimes all the fonts are very small and it's just quite hard to use. <laughs> yeah, I did wonder how, if that was going to happen quite a lot with some of these games. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did play uh, Euro so, Truck Simulator yeah. too. I felt like I had to give that a go. And <laughs> that works. For a game with a lot of buttons, it works surprisingly well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's... Uh, that's the thing. I suppose, like the the advantage the Nintendo Switch has is they're all kind of native versions. Yes. So everything's been made with that in mind, and like it's just a bit more of a wild west with the uh, with the Steam library. It absolutely so, uh, is, yeah. and you get. I mean, you get some benefits from it. Like um, the existence of the Steam controller back in the day means that there are a lot of custom profiles that people have made for controller figurations for a lot of these games. Um, mm. So I think that's what Eurotruck and things like that are using. This somebody went to the effort of making it work on, a, you know, a control pad, and the benefits now are finally paying off. But um, hmm. again, it's just it's purely based on some guy's preference, I guess. Uh, so <laughs> you know, you're taking your life into your own hands every time. <laughs> I also like that you are kind of spiritually turning your Steam Deck into a PS Vita by uh, playing visual novels on it. That feels like a, a, a baller move. I, uh, I, I'm happy with that. Um, I, I, you must be uh, pretty chuffed that um, Persona, the, all the Personas are coming to PC now, Phil. Or does that have no relevance to you as a man who has played them all on console? Well, so um, I've only played Persona 5 on console. I've never actually played Persona 3 Um so I'm kind of debating whether it is worth going back and doing that. Although I guess, yeah, that was probably also going to be a very good Steam Deck game. Um, yeah. Actually, it probably will be a good excuse to check out um, Persona 5 Royale as well. Because when I originally played it, it was just the uh, original release version. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good idea. You know, I've sort of um, been debating. When do you go back and play what is hundreds of hours of mostly the same game? Just to get <laughs> to some extra bits. Yeah, for like five percent new content. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> At what point is it worth it? Uh, yeah, that's 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 fair. Not tempted to uh, boot him up on the old OG Xbox One, Phil. Still got that in the living room. Um, yes, I do. It's uh, not plugged in anymore and hasn't been for a while. 
I did always like it as because uh, I was around when you bought it, and it was the Forza Horizon Two machine. Is that right? Is uh, that the originally yeah. it was the Forza Horizon One machine, and then it got upgraded to the Forza Horizon Two <laughs> machine, and then they moved the series over to PC as well, and so it didn't get launched ever. Uh, except for a couple of reviews I did of like really dodgy Xbox ports of um, beloved PC <laughs> games like Kerbal Space Program and City Skylines uh, that I did for OXM back in the day. Yeah, I do seem to remember you were like their reporter on the ground of like <laughs> PC ill-advised PC exactly. ports. That was yeah. Like, <laughs> how much will I have to fight a controller to make this work? It doesn't matter as long as I can do enough of these that I cover the cost of the console, thereby, <laughs> thereby ensuring it wasn't a giant waste of time. That is, yeah. Every games freelancer who's ever lived has um, basically functioned under that economy, and uh, yeah, until they just couldn't take it anymore. That's good. Um, yeah, so oh, it's it's great having you on, Phil, because I was um, we were talking a bit in our in our podcast Discord recently about the Piece of Gaming UK podcast. I think people fondly remember us recording it. Um, what are your kind of like memories of making that? Because I, I did miss it after it was over, and that's part of the reason I ended up doing this. And um, do you have any kind of reflections on the very odd content we put out for a few <laughs> years there? I think. What do I remember about it? it? Was very chaotic. Is the thing with that podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, I think part of it is that I think because of the way we brought it back, I sort of operated under the assumption that nobody was actually listening to it. Certainly nobody (laughs) from the company. Um, And so I don't think... I think my problem with podcasts, as my problem uh, in meetings is in the company, is I don't really have a filter for what I'm saying. It's just like, I'm having a chat with Samuel now, so I can say whatever, forgetting that it's going to be broadcast to a lot of people. And uh, that's probably why some people enjoyed it, because... It's nice to have that energy sometimes. Yeah. I, I listened back to like the last episode we did um, a few months ago, and like I sound like the most miserable motherfucker. <laughs> like I'm absolutely ragging on the top 100 process. Oh, now the top 100 people. ones were always interesting <laughs> recordings because <laughs> there was... I should explain the, 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 the way our the PC Gamers annual top 100 works is that a lot of it is just based on... Uh, behind-the-scenes arguments that happen. Um, And so, in the worst cases, you end up with a list that nobody quite agrees with. Uh, There's been a few years where that's been the case. I think we've got the process slightly better these days, but there's been a couple ones where we definitely went into that podcast studio to air some grievances out. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And, like, I definitely think it sort of steadily... The top 100 list steadily got better the whole time I was there, and then... By the time I left, I was pretty happy with the process. But, mm. like, early on, there'd be a lot of, like, heated arguments about a thing that would result in, like, two terrible compromises on either side <laughs> that, like, would completely completely break the list and no one would be happy about. And so, uh, yeah. And then, like, those recordings, I just... I sound so tired and grumpy, and it's kind of labelled as a commentary on the top 100. But then there are, like, games that on the UK side we clearly just didn't want in there, and we just kind of skipped over them, <laughs> yeah. or, like, didn't treat them with respect. And I, I feel bad about that in retrospect, because people argued for the things they like, and, and, and they were asked to participate in the process. So I feel like I was the problem there rather than them, you know what I mean? I mean, it's not it's not other members of the team's fault that they uh, argued for a game that they love, and that the process is set up to reward that with a placing in a top 100 <laughs> list of the- games the brand likes 
Yeah, yeah, it was. It, it, it was the other thing that strikes me is that, like, when I listen back, is that the the audio recording quality is so bad. So when oh, I yeah. bought <laughs> when I made this podcast, like the first thing I bought was a Blue Yeti, and like I don't know why we only ever had one microphone that seemed to like be. It was a Blue Yeti, it but was. it had to go between four people, and like was that was just pure carnage. And like at one point there were more microphones, but they disappeared. Like yeah. it was just. Yeah, it was a strange, strange thing, wasn't well, it? Well, and that's it. Like, to pull the curtain back, it was just happening in what was called the studio, but was basically just one of the meeting rooms and had not <laughs> been soundproofed at all, really, because the company is, at large wasn't really expecting podcasting to be a thing that happened. Um, yeah. So the fact that we were doing it in a space that clearly wasn't set up for it. Like, I I remember back in the day when podcasting was, like, a proper thing at Future. There was, like, a studio with properly soundproof walls and everything. Um, And this was just a meeting room where sometimes... Sometimes you could hear random drilling because they were, (laughs) you know, changing some of the rooms nearby. And sometimes you could sort of make out a meeting that was just happening next door because that's (laughs) what those rooms were designed for. Yeah, you could full on like hear conversations, and I was there thinking, I hope there's nothing confidential being said in this meeting now because it's it's being broadcast to probably about three thousand people. But you know, still, it probably shouldn't be on the record. Yeah, so, I mean, it was broadcast yeah. to enough people that somebody once came up to me on a train and showed me their phone, which was playing an episode of the podcast. Uh, oh, that's very nice. Which was sort of scary and then nice and then uh, awkward because I was just like, I need to leave now, please. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was, uh, people, people really did dig it. I think it meant when, we, like, when I started this, there, were, there was quite a nice receptive audience uh, for it. And uh, yeah, it was kind of sad uh, for it to be over. I would have asked you to do this, Phil, but I imagine you've got plenty to do in your day job. So, uh, you know, I can only have... I'll have like um, a sort of like free well, samples yeah, of Phil Savage, you know. Yeah, yeah. Have, have you thought about bringing the podcast back at all, Phil? Is that something you've sort of discussed internally? We have because um, we have quite a big team now and there's some like just really good voices on the team like whenever we're i mean speaking of the top 100 we're sort of in the process of doing the top 100 at the moment and whenever we're doing those sort of meetings um on the one hand we probably could never record them because it's it's a very loose (laughs) way of discussing which 100 games we need to uh celebrate this year uh but on the other hand it does every time it makes me think oh yeah we need to get some of these people into a podcast so I i we're sort of looking into it at the moment. Um, like the big question is like, how do we get the American team involved and like do it as a proper PC gamer thing um, mm. rather than having like a bunch of separate feeds. And um, so, yeah, watch this space. Yeah. Hopefully that's cool. That was always one of the weird things about the podcast as well as the, um, the site where it was hosted. Yeah. So, like the kind of the, the deliberately shit WordPress where we kind of plugged it in. Like the whole thing was so bootleg for a, like a, a publicly listed company worth like, you know, now worth well over a billion it, it was quite embarrassing um but yeah but like but very fun uh and i so, did yeah. get a couple of emails from people around the company that were like oh i see you're doing a podcast now so how, how did you get that set up and it's like oh, i shouldn't tell you because it's quite embarrassing <laughs> yeah you don't want to know trust <laughs> me um we force this into being because it shouldn't exist basically um so yeah um okay great stuff well um yeah good good little check in there phil um mm. I'll, t- I'll i'll take a quick pause here and then we can uh, come back and chat about the subject of this episode uh, destiny which uh, you're an expert in so uh, we'll be back in a minute
Welcome back to the podcast. So this section's all about destiny, so I imagine half of you are going to tune out right now, delete this episode off your uh, podcast catcher of choice and move on with your lives. If so, I wish you well with the rest of your day. For everyone else who wants to hear some great FPS chatter from a, a genuine authority on uh, on the subject of Destiny, this is going to be a great a great section. So yeah. we've got a little bit of an overview of Destiny um, uh, Destiny here and uh, Phil's kind of journey with it, and a little bit about what kind of like elements of it you'll like if you're an existing single player shooter fan. Um, it'll just be a good chat, I think. And then we've got like a top five things to do in Destiny two list from Phil, and then a top five guns in Destiny two list from Phil. So. It's going to be really fun. So um, I suppose, Phil, like, where does your Destiny journey begin? Because I think you came to it sometime after me, but it was before Destiny 1 had wrapped up, right? Um, so I came to it quite early. Actually, before that, I should say, um, I really feel like I've picked the hardest possible back page podcast challenge in coming on to talk about Destiny 2, a live service game. I was going back and looking at through like the episodes that where you've picked out and focused on a specific game, and it, you know it's Hitman Three or S- Super Mario Three D World or whatever, you know, <laughs> classics or single player games and immersive sims that you know, I mean we both absolutely love. And so mm. here I am to talk about the kind <laughs> of awkward scratch pad of bungee ideas that are somehow coalesce into a fascinating experience. Um, but that's exactly why I thought we'd make a good episode because the, the thing when I did try to talk about Destiny before, right? Like the, um, the the thing I tried to do was pull out a specific element that I know people would like. So I talked about um, uh, the um, uh, what's the what's the big hedonism bot guy in uh, who they in the raid they cut out. What was that raid called? Oh, Phil? Uh, that was Leviathan and Callus is the, yeah. So the guy who is back now. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Tim, uh, when Tim came on, he intimated that um, uh, Callus was coming back, so I'm pleased to hear that's the case. But like, um, yeah, we, I talked about that for example, and a lot of our listeners like were did have their imagination captured by like, you know, the idea the idea of this preposterous figure <laughs> who's like gourd you shoot out of his hand essentially, and like that's always the thing with Destiny. There's loads of good stuff in there, but like reaching the good stuff requires patience or more people. But there are, there is good stuff to talk about. Do you think that's Kind of a fair way of framing it. Yeah, I think it is, and I think um, I think a lot of times when people talk about Destiny, especially long term players, it's almost it can almost feel grudging. Like here is a relationship that I have subjected myself to um, <laughs> for reasons that they can often struggle to articulate, and I, I'm sort of I'm going to make an effort not to go down the self deprecating route there, um, mm. because you know I do think there are reasons why people you know why this series has lasted for i think 2014 it launched so yeah eight years essentially Mm. and why people still get a lot of joy from it now um so yeah to double back to your actual question which was when i jumped on it was actually close to launch um i think a few days after the launch me and pc gamers former online editor tom senior sort of goaded ourselves into a reckless purchase of a PlayStation 4 um, in a way that right. we would sometimes goad ourselves into buying stupid... Remember that uh, week where we all bought uh, Final Fantasy XIV? Oh, yeah! We, we never played it. We never played it together. <laughs> uh, I don't think I played it on uh, that console at all. <laughs> yeah. I, I t- come to think of it, I was completely wrong there, Phil. You were, I forgot you were right there at the beginning with Destiny. Because, um, yeah, it was September 2014, I think, and then I think yeah, we. I was part of that that too. I didn't get into Destiny as much, but I think we all 
triple dead or quadruple dead. Quite like possibly. somehow everyone on the team, minus Tony Ellis and Josh Strike, <laughs> ended up with a PS4. So uh, yeah, please continue. Yeah. So um, so I had it fairly on, and there is actually almost a meme at this point among the community of people having to prove their Destiny bona fides by saying, oh, "I'm a day one beta player," and it's like you must respect my opinion. <laughs> so not quite that early, but yeah, as soon after launch, we picked it up and. Honestly, like those first few months, um, I, you know, I I was very slowly working through the campaign, but I did bounce off it a couple of times. And I think part of it, and this is a the thing they still do, although not to the same extent, was the the way almost because like, oh, it's kind of MMO like now, so you can't just do the campaign. You've got to do a couple of levels, and then you've got to raise your your player level by however much before you can access the next one and I found that structure quite uh, it hurt the pacing quite a bit Um, Mm. and we can talk about that later when we talk about sort of the newer campaign stuff and how it handles that I think it is a lot better now although it doesn't necessarily tell you that it's better about it Uh, Mm. but yeah, so initially, yeah, I've checked in with it every now and again and was sort of very slowly making my way through. And I think it's when the first DLC came out, um, which was The Dark Below, which actually wasn't very well received. Um, but that's when I was sort of like, okay, more people are playing this. It's clearly sticking around. Like, even though a lot of people are pointing out its problems, there's clearly a lot of love for it, both both among like the community at large and, you know, the the people I was playing games with at the time anyway. Um, so I made a point to catch up there, and then it wasn't until the sort of final DLC of year one, House of Wolves, that I was sort of caught up and ready to hit uh, a lot of the endgame activities, and that's when, um, like, to to really dig into the moment that made Destiny stick with me, uh, House of Wolves had like this endgame activity called Prison of Elders, and it's sort of an arena fight against a bunch of bosses. I think each week there was a different one on rotation. Mm. And as they do, that it was coming up to the end of year one as well, so they, they did this thing where you know you got some extra rewards if you did a bunch of challenges, and one of them was to, to sort of defeat the final hardest boss of Prison of Elders. Uh, and me and someone else who was playing the game quite a bit we started trying to get other friends through it who weren't quite at level, but they wanted the rewards, they wanted to see it. So, you know, we'd already fought quite hard to to do that ourselves. And then I think on the night before the next expansion release and the, the deadline was over, we managed to get somebody who was quite a bit lower level for it through. Mm. And it was just like, oh yeah, that's amazing. Like, we actually managed to do this. And it was a really great sort of moment between the three of us because, you know, this person we were... I don't want to say carrying, but we were helping through, was, like, really excited. And, yeah, that, that was the point where I'm like, oh, yeah, this is this is a really good experience that I haven't replicated in many other games. Yeah, okay, that's cool, yeah. So from there, like, how did your relationship develop? Because The Taken King was um, the first major expansion, right? And that was where I got properly into it. And at that point, it felt like it had, like, real shape to it. Is that how you kind of saw it at the time, too? Yeah, I think with The Taken King, like, Bungie really landed on the things that they figured out really worked about Destiny. Um, And so the new destination it added, which was this sort of cool hive um, ship, which is... It's, it's the more insectoid race and so like it was just sort of interesting architecture that was covered in like gribbly corruption and chitin and all sorts of 
weird alien designs. Um, they had that, and it was sort of full of things to find. And so there was this sense of, oh, have you found this yet? Or let me take you over here, you'll find a thing. And you're like, oh, what's this? Um, the sort of... I, this, this is where it kind of uh, became clear that Destiny was always going to be the game that, like, guides writers for websites were going to get a lot of mileage from. <laughs> yeah. And I think those do lead to cool community moments because everyone's like, oh, you know, we thought we thought this was what we were getting. Actually, there's this whole other thing. If you do this, it will lead down a rabbit hole that will lead to a cool gun. And it's sort of like just whispers or posts, uh, you know, subreddits dedicated to finding out secrets and things like that. So there was that really cool element to it. Um, there was also the raid, and I think we'll be talking about raids quite a bit later on, but King's Fall um, was just much bigger and more audacious than the first raid, Vault of Glass, from year one. Um, mm. And that really led to a sense of excitement. So yeah, just a lot of things coalescing in that release. Um and then once it was released, nothing happened for a year. Um, <laughs> right. It was, yeah. and that's uh, that's sort of the story of early Destiny. I think is like in year one they thought they had this DLC plan that they were going to go down, um, but the DLCs weren't particularly well liked because um, mm. they were the, like the campaigns were just a couple of missions really, and you know there wasn't much extra to them but it was this thing that people were being asked to pay for regardless so then they were like oh okay we'll just do a big expansion and we'll just fill it full of things and maybe we'll do some events to keep things ticking over and Mm. that just uh, resulted in a real dry spell for a long time and you know there was plenty to do in the Taking King but there wasn't a year's worth of stuff which can be a problem in a live service game like there's, there's always that I'd guess, uh, tension between the community always wants more and they will always complete the thing you've just released in the fastest possible time. <laughs> um, but, you know, you're developers and you have to, like, go home and have lives and weekends and it's just this sort of never-ending demand and figuring out how you can fill it. Yeah, and that seems to be something that they have perpetually wrestled with, like, um, from Destiny 1 to Destiny 2 and I suppose, like, in the very early days, they were they were doing they were trying to work this out before the exact shape of modern live service games have been figured out with battle passes and stuff and yeah. um, what are now seasonal activities in Destiny. So yeah, it's um it's it's tricky. But then like um did did you find that like Destiny two repeated some of the same mistakes, uh, Phil? I remember there being a bit of a cool period towards Destiny two at the start. So Destiny two's launch was pretty interesting in that when it. Like, the first few weeks, everyone was like, oh, yeah. Well, I don't want to say everyone. Certainly everyone I was talking to was like, oh, God, this is amazing. They've, like, surpassed themselves. The campaign was pretty good. Um, Probably one of the best sort of story campaigns or or, or a selection of missions they'd done to that point uh, Mm. in terms of, like, the variety of things you're doing and the settings and stuff like that. And then the problem they had is they'd made a bunch of changes that in theory were a good idea, but I don't necessarily think suited the kind of audience that game had. Mm. Um, So it was one of the things they did was they uh, took away 
random perk rolls from guns. So the way it works now, and the way it used to work in Destiny 1, is that if you get a legendary weapon uh, from wherever, it will have two perks picked from a pool of possibilities, uh, and they're just randomly generated when you get the gun, and uh, you can look at them and go, oh, cool, it's Outlaw and Killing Wind, or the the one there are a selection of perks you definitely want on various guns and then mm. there's some that aren't quite as good or are very niche and pretty quickly like the, the thing people are always asking is oh what's the god roll like what is the gun that will perform the best either in pve or pvp stuff what is the one that i actually want and there are entire websites dedicated to cataloging like what the best potential role of every gun is and so that's a big part of the loot chase, is like, mm. yes, you can earn a gun, but then you can earn the better version of that gun. And in year one, there, that, that just didn't exist. Uh, each gun had its own unique set of perks. Well, not necessarily unique, but its own defined set of perks. And once you'd earned it, you didn't ever need to earn it again. And mm. if you're sort of somebody who plays the game, maybe an hour a week, or you check in every couple of weeks that's great because you don't have to put in the effort to get the same experience the same amount of rewards as somebody who plays multiple hours a week but then Mm. if you're the type of person who plays multiple hours a week you're then like how come they also have the same rewards as i do right that i remember being a proper firestorm as well of like yeah which type of player deserves to be rewarded the most and long and obviously like more hardcore players probably feeling like they're being neglected as a result there so like how do they kind of rectify that afterwards because forsaken is a very well received expansion right added some pretty rad end game stuff if i recall fun things to do after um after you've sort of like done the campaign like how do they sort of write the ship on that um i mean much the same way as they did in Destiny One with taking it, like it's the parallel is is pretty surprising. Like Destiny launched had a lot of problems. People were kind of like, yeah, this is kind of good, but it's not there yet. And then the Taken King came out, and everyone's like, oh no, they 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 know what this is now. And then mm. Destiny Two launched had a load of problems. I mean, not just the the perk pool thing. Like people didn't like the double primary system. Like they missed having special weapons uh, like shotguns and sniper rifles, which in Year One were part of your heavy weapon slot. Um, I think as a way to sort of reduce the the sort of power creep as people were getting more and more powerful at the end of Destiny 1. They were like, okay, we're going to reset everyone down. Supers charge slower, abilities charge slower, you've got less ammo to do, like, your big DPS weapons. And then, I don't know, it, it, they released Forsaken and they just let go of a lot of that. Um, they did what, I think just before Forsaken release, they did what was called the Go Fast update, and that was just about rebalancing everything so that you got your abilities quicker, and you got the fun tools uh, would proc more often. The other thing they got a lot of heat for in Destiny 1 was sort of a tonal thing, which I guess in uh, Destiny 2 Year 1, every there was a real sort of flanderization effect where... Everybody liked Cade in Destiny 1, so what if in Destiny 2 everybody was, like, jokey and tongue-in-cheek? And mm. I think that fell flat for a lot of people, especially for a series where, like, you know, the most beloved expansion is The Taken King, which was very dark and gothic in tone. 
And so for for everything to be very sort of light-hearted Saturday morning cartoon fell flat to, you know, a lot of the player base. Hmm. And so Forsaken, you know, they're like, well, hey, okay, let's kill off the comedy character that you all love. And now everyone has to react to that and be sad. Hmm. Which, it, it worked out, honestly. And also, <laughs> they didn't have to pay Nathan Fillion any more money. <laughs> That did also seem like part of the. Uh, I think that was part also of part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was definitely like he definitely felt like he came and rescued the tone of uh, Destiny One in the Taken King. That was mm. how I felt in my head. Um, but I say that as someone who never truly understood the lore. But yeah, it was a we- lot of very serious people, voiced by people from like genre shows in the noughties. Um, yes. And uh, explaining stuff, and then yeah, they were like, "Oh yeah, so we'll just stick Nathan Fillion in this and uh, um, have some fun times." But that's the thing; um, it works in that context, doesn't it? Because you have lots of lots of people trying to tell this serious story about a hive god who wants to do some stuff, and then you've got yeah. comedy jokes man just sort of telling everybody to lighten up. Whereas if everybody yeah. is comedy jokes man, then nobody is comedy jokes man, which was the <laughs> Destiny Two Year One problem. So from there, is Shadowkeep the expansion after Forsaken? How does that mix things up? So with Shadowkeep, um, the Shadowkeep was the one released after Bungie split from Activision, hmm. and like that did have a big effect because. So I guess one of the things I've not mentioned with Destiny Two yet is how they did. Um, sort of post-expansion releases and stuff like that. Um, and again, Destiny 2 Year 1, much like Destiny 1 Year 1, it, they had two DLCs, Curse of Osiris and Warmind. And much like in Destiny 1 Year 1, they weren't particularly well-received. Curse of Osiris especially was a, a not well-rated uh, expansion, like especially because a lot of people already had many frustrations with the direction it had taken. Um, that did not assuage any fears. I think Warmind was a bit more positively received. Like, it added a couple, uh, a thing called Escalation Protocol, which was like a public event that just happened when you went down onto the Mars destination. So, it was a, a public event in a public space that was actually quite difficult and required like a lot of, a lot more than you'd usually take after what is usually a fairly brainless activity um, <laughs> elsewhere in public spaces. So that was all cool, but um, Forsaken then introduced proper seasons, um, and they were just released uh, on a seasonal model. I can't remember what they cost, but about eight quid, something like that. Yeah, probably. I think I usually, I usually buy the, I, I just spend the Destiny tax each year by getting the deluxe <laughs> edition, so I don't have to think about it. Because some of the monetization decisions they make for buying like individual piecemeal content is absurd. I feel like the government should reimburse you for that, uh, Phil, but uh, <laughs> to do your work is necessary, but yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of what went right with Forsaken was also that the follow-up seasons were really good. Um, like the first one they did, Black Armoury, Season of the Forge, I think is what it's called, um, but that introduced the Black Armoury, which was this event that you loaded into and um, based around forges. It, it was... As, as many activities in Destiny are, it's a type of horde mode that involved throwing an orb at something. Yeah. But that came in, had some incredible guns, like guns that are still beloved to this day, or would be if they hadn't been sunset with Beyond Light. Um, <laughs> so they had that. Um, they had Season of the Drifter, which less... 
less successful because the community remains, I'll say, divided on Gambit. Um, right, yeah. And then uh, Season of Opulence, which introduced the Menagerie, and it was all based around, you know, Callus and uh, the Leviathan and stuff like that. And so it was just a series of weird game shows at the behest of, you know, this Caligula-like figure. Um, <laughs> you've you've just zoomed in as well on the period that I was playing Destiny to yes. the most. And, like, yeah, the... Uh, fucking that forge man I did that so much of you that did shit. a lot of um, that forge we did um yeah like it, it was funny because um it was this around the pandemic time so some of these seasons went on longer than intended or maybe one of them did that or... was actually so i think I, th- I think actually the the period you were probably playing the most was season of arrival which was after shadow keep but because right. they delayed beyond light that that season lasted about five months which so it was the longest one um to that point, at least, but mm. that it, that provided a good period for everyone to sort of, because they'd also announced that certain things would be going away at that point as well, and they'd mm. be removing a few activities from the game and a few destinations. So I think a lot of people jumped on to sort of check out what was about to be leaving. Um, yeah, I, I I will say actually, like the great joy I had with playing Destiny Two that year was getting to see this kind of like um backed up array of cool stuff to unpick in this yeah, game yeah. so things like the kind of mysteries you talk about where that you know these were once community solved things where no one knew how to solve them and then um you know you you and tom uh, hatfield would like take me through them essentially and then like kind of explain them and explain the background of how people found them and there was so much of that stuff in there i find it incredibly impressive so i think like you say like the Taken King is sort of where that starts a little bit, the kind of secret unraveling, and now it's like in the DNA of the game, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, so that, I mean, that period I was much like in Prison of Elders in Destiny 1, taking, you know, this uh, friend of a friend through a difficult uh, thing to get them some decent rewards. Like, I think me and Tom were running people through like the Whisper, a secret mission that got you a cool exotic sniper rifle at the end of it, like pretty much every week, just a, a rotating <laughs> cast of friends who were like, oh, have you ever got this gun? No. Okay, well, let's go and do a weird jumping puzzle. Oh, man, yeah, the jumping puzzle that was like oddly nightmarish, depending on which of the uh, <laughs> which of the classes you picked. But uh, yeah, good times. Um, yeah, so the thing about forsaken and uh especially like season of opulence and the menagerie and that is they um, bungie was helped a lot by other activision studios at that time so a lot of season of opulence was actually made by vicarious visions Hmm. and you know because of activision's resources like they could sustain the amount of stuff that forsaken had in it like forsaken had an entire different destination called the Dreaming City that people didn't even know about when the game released, if I recall correctly. Like, you did the campaign, and then it was just like, post-campaign, it was like, oh, by the way, something's going on with the Awoken, and you just unlock this whole new destination that is uh, still probably one of the weirdest destinations they've made in terms of its look and style. And, yeah, that it when Shadowcake released, it became pretty clear that that wasn't sustainable anymore. Like, Bungie is on its own now. 
or at least was, you know, they've been acquired by Sony since, but at the time it was like Bungie were doing it for themselves and that meant they had to make everything themselves and that meant Shadowkeep was, I think in terms of the campaign, a bit of a dud, like Mm. it was a few missions that were padded with some pretty egregious collection quests for a pretty ugly set of armour. It had like had some cool moments, especially with regards to like the story and like some aspects of the lore and reveals of things that had been hinted at before. But generally it was like, oh, okay, this is it. And then the seasons that followed up were the way they were doing it was I think they were basically removing things after each season happened. So the season that happened and then that season's activity was just gone at the end of that season and you were on to the next thing and so this was the year the community was like really complaining about fear of missing out being like the driving force of destiny going forward and that was a real concern because i mean previously in year two you could have taken breaks you can go and play something else for an entire season and that season would still be there um Mm. whereas now it felt like okay they really want us to keep up with it and be like part of the monthly active users metric and sort of justify things that way. And it became became a real grind. Like, that was probably... For all the complaints of Destiny 1, Year 1... like uh, Destiny 2, Year 1. Um, year 3 and Shadowkeep stuff was probably, like... Some of the most worrying times for the game. Right. And then... Okay. Beyond Light happened. And it, it's sort of this pattern of ups and downs. Um, Beyond Light... Pretty good expansion, introduced Stasis, completely blew up the subreddit for months because of the PvP balance of Stasis, which is a power that freezes players. Um, So people just constantly getting frozen, absolutely furious with it in terms of the competitive stuff. Um, But again, really good seasons. And then that's what led to arrivals in the five-month season and the announcement that a bunch of things were going away. Yeah, so quite controversial because, you know, the original Red War campaign is gone now, right? So um, what other kind of like Destiny 2 sort of like old content is is essentially no more? So, um, yeah, the Black Armoury stuff's all gone. Those forges and things, uh, two campaigns, well, two cam- two main campaigns, the Red War one and Forsaken left uh, when the Witch Queen released earlier this right. year. Yeah. Um, a couple of raids, so all the Leviathan raids. I think there was there was one main one and then two smaller ones. Um, that well, one of them wasn't very good, but Spire of Stars was certainly interesting, if not something one would want to subject themselves to more than once. Really, which one um, was that, Phil? That was the one where you had to uh, stand on a bunch of plates with a ball to fling yourself up into a 3D representation of space to figure out which ship you would throw an orb at <laughs> to destroy it with a laser targeting system. Oh my god, That I just remember like there being some very nervous moments of, will we actually ever get this done? Like, it was, uh, I, the yeah. problem with that one, it wasn't so much like it was cool in terms of, oh okay, you got to destroy ships, you got to do all this, but there were so many tight, like this is the moment where we all have to throw an orb to each other, and if we don't do it in five seconds, we are all dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a shame, because being flung into space was awesome. That was the cool that, bit, yeah. Yeah, that was like a, a proper, like, 
galaxy brain preposterous sort of sci-fi moment it was just really really fun but like uh, well i suppose it wasn't galaxy brain it was just blowing up a spaceship but still you know it was uh it was quite out there visually um but yeah okay i, I do remember that one and, and have no wish to repeat it it's true. yeah but um, we also lost scourge of the past which was a very good raid that i really enjoyed uh that was the one with the sparrow section um where a, oh. a giant flaming orb chased you down like these warrens <laughs> underneath the city so good oh that was a great raid actually because the um the city itself was a really cool environment like um that was that was neat and then yeah you just go underneath it and then there'd be basically like a kind of speeder chase sequence it was yeah that was that was great uh what a shame to lose that but it's weird because they keep they they, like remove things like this and then they they they, so they brought back the um final arena of that area um which is basically where a bunch of the fallen now live and are sort of hiding out in the city. And our mm. little uh, sort of faction of fallen allies are now there. And that's there. It's called the Elixney Quarter. Um, although <laughs> that has also been removed because that was part of last year's seasonal stuff. Uh, so, yeah, part of the problem right now is just sort of keeping track of what what's there and what's not anymore. There are ways that this has been good for the game, just in terms of this is clearly what they need to do in order to keep the pace of releasing new stuff and keeping the game at not just like a, a, a decent file size for whatever that's worth, but like <laughs> ensuring that what does remain still works uh, and they don't constantly have to test every new thing, they every new gun, every new sort of interaction with, you know, six plus raids, multiple campaigns, all sorts of things. Um, but yeah, it's definitely it definitely hurts the game in other ways, like in ways we'll talk about in terms of what it does for new players who are thinking, oh, is this a game I should check out? Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose then, like um, the because we got up to uh, Beyond Light, there we'll save the Witch Queen Phil because I know that will come yes. up a bit later. Um, so I suppose then the, the question there is to someone who typically enjoys single player first person shooters, but maybe rankles the idea of live service games. Do you think Destiny has something to offer them? And if it does, how much hard work is it to find it? Uh, I would say it's slightly easier these days um, if you're sort of interested in checking it out almost on a whim. But the tricky thing is it's advertised as a free-to-play game. I don't think that's entirely accurate in what we'd think of as a free-to-play game like you're not going to be able to do much without owning the latest expansion like that's where all the good stuff really is um or at least without owning one of the expansions like you don't have a campaign you basically have access to strike missions and a handful of other things which you know could be fun but aren't necessarily what you would load up the game and sort of play it over time with i would say and again we'll talk about that in a bit but i would say like Yes, the new campaign is a really good first-person shooter experience. I, it does stand next to a bunch of single-player FPSs. Um, but the best way to experience Destiny, really, is to rope in a couple of friends who are going to learn it with you. Like, Or, you know, if you don't have friends who are already in there, if you have a couple of friends who are like, I'm kind of interested in checking it out, like going through and learning things together and having those people to call on when you want to do like more difficult things like dungeons or nightfalls you can get a long way with having three people in destiny basically a lot of the game is built around that structure Mm. and some of that's match made like especially low level strikes and seasonal activities or whatever like the game will fill into other people with you but it's not quite the same um and 
in terms of sort of getting prepared and and really learning what the game offers in terms of its RPG systems uh, and the depth of build crafting and stuff like that. Having some people with you is, I would say, a recommendation. I think it's hard to get that same experience if you're doing it solo. Yeah, I would agree with that as someone who was uh, sort of um, shepherded through so much of the the older content. Um, Yeah, it, it was very valuable to have that and just people willing to explain things that the game confronts you with that you just do not understand. Uh, different currencies and um, strange characters and parts of different worlds you didn't know existed because you never went around a corner and found this guy there. Um, yeah, or just what is this quest that <laughs> I've had in my inventory for months? <laughs> what does it actually do? Do I have to do it or is this pointless? That Yeah, so you did a quest audit for me, you and Tom Hatfield at one point. I read out every single... In fact, no, I screen grabbed, I think, every single quest or something like that. Yes. And then you, you told me which ones to get rid of. And like, how many people have you done that service for at this point? Um, to that extent, only you. Um, right. What I've, what I've started to do is uh, when we're playing with people who are fairly new or are just getting back into it, I'll just get them to stream their quest log over Discord. <laughs> Uh, this is a service I provide. Uh, and we'll just go through and we'll just say, okay, well, that's what this is, that's what this is. And I will say the game has got a lot better. I Perhaps I didn't give it enough credit for this until I started doing it with people. It's got a lot better at sort of organising quests in a way that they make a little bit more sense. Mm-hmm. So um, campaigns, for instance, Shadowkeep, uh, Beyond Light, and... The Witch Queen uh, are the three campaigns currently in. They are all just, they are each their own quest that is made up of now like multiple, you know, 20 to 30 steps based on the number of quests and things you're doing. And you Mm. can right click on a quest and you can just go into a detailed page view where step by step you can see what you've done and what you've got to do next. Um, It's the same for each of the seasons. So like one of the things that used to be difficult was each like, each week of the seasons because they now roll out like little chunks of story each week just to sort of keep you checking back in or for you to catch up with uh, once the season's finished. They all used to be individual quests. It was an absolute mess to figure out. Now they're all just one quest line and like if you're ever like I want to see what was where I've got up to with Season of the Risen say you just have one place to look and it will spell it all out for you. Hmm. And that does make things a lot more user friendly. Um, because yeah, it, for a while my quest log was like a public toilet. It was it, it was rough in there. But it yeah. was so bad. I lo- I looked over it today at that thing that I wrote up just to see what you were dealing with, and it's like <laughs> yeah, I, like how anybody's meant to keep track of this. And some of it, yeah, some of it is down to the fact that um, the quest log used to exist just in the player inventory. They weren't quests, they were just like little fragments of things you found in your inventory that hinted at things you could do to turn that into a gun or something. Yeah. And then and then they introduced the quest page and quests became like the metaphysical concept of going on a quest. But also sometimes it's still a, a, a an extant object that you own in this space. So sometimes your quests are quests that you've been given, and sometimes your quests are an oven that can be interacted with to bake cookies for a dragon. Yeah, and then those cookies are just stuck in your inventory for ages, unless you just, after the thing's over. Just hope it auto-deletes them, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, there was a lot of that for sure. Um, I think the reason I sort of like, I I kind of wanted to do this episode is I think that like for anyone who's interested in 
good FPS design. Like if you if you play something like the the you know like the Titanfall two campaign or any of the kind of more modern examples like Doom Eternal of good single player quest design, it's like it's not all the game is, but there's a lot of that in Destiny two if you're prepared to go and find it. Um, mm. And I suppose you know, like you say there is the wrinkle of you kind of need two people to get the most out of it. But like I think that's fair, right? It's just that that stuff is in there. You will find great FPS design in there if you persist. You know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like with with the most recent campaign, it's good to see them putting that more up front and center, perhaps where it should be, as like <laughs> the tent pole portion of an expansion release. That's great. Um, but even before that, like things like the the thing that everybody used to call out were a couple of secret exotic mission quests, like uh, the Whisper, because it's a wild jumping puzzle across like this expansive underground alien complex or zero hour which is um or was i should say again not in the game anymore but this this kind of really cool tour of um destiny one's version of the tower which was destroyed at the start of destiny 2 but then they repurpose that space for this mission and you sort of work through the ruins of it and then into the underground bit of the tower um and both uh, they they were both timed missions, really cool like sense of pace and panic, um, couple of fun surprises doing them. Just yeah, really sort of top notch FPS campaign design. We'll get to this in a little bit, but like the uh, yeah yeah the dungeons too. Um, yes, kind of like uh, not necessarily those you know they need to be shared with people, but uh, yeah those as well. Um, very kind of uh, very much see that design in there. So, um, Phil, I was curious, why do you think that other live service games have died while Destiny has persisted? It's kind of like the last of its kind. It was the first of its kind in some ways. But um, why do you think it has persisted while those other ones have gone away? So I think some of it is just it was the first of its kind. And so it it managed to kind of get a a kind of cachet and respect. It built up a community because it was doing something that a lot of live service games weren't doing. Hmm. but also, it, it, it was, I mean, if you think of live service games now, often it, it, you think of like hero shooters or battle royales in terms of the other live service games that I'm aware of are things like Apex and Fortnite and um, that kind of thing. Whereas I think Destiny, because it takes a lot of cues from MMOs in terms of how it structures a release schedule around expansions that you know include big new areas and then the seasons add new things and so there's this constant update path to it so that is all the stuff that i think have sort of kept people checking back in with it and also ensured it had a little a dedicated core audience as well that are Mm. keeping up with it because you know we see that those designs can be like really sticky and really compulsive for people. So that helps. I think also the fact that this is like Bungie's main concern now in a way that, I mean, if you look at things that compare to destiny, it's stuff like, I mean, I guess the division is one of the closer ones Mm. in terms of being, you know, this shooter campaign that tried to have seasonal stuff and DLC like that. And uh, you know the division was never going to be like the main priority of Ubisoft, whereas 
certainly since the Activision split, like Destiny is just Bungie's thing. And they've talked about, you know, even beyond like that, that there's two expansions to come and they've talked about, well, beyond that, we want to keep Destiny 2 running. And not even like we want to keep Destiny running and make Destiny 3. They've talked about Destiny 2 specifically sticking around after after their current plan with what they're calling the light and dark saga now. See, I find that kind of like kind of amazing because there are definitely moments along the road and, you know, you kind of explained the history in brief earlier, like where they could have just sort of dropped everything and ran and made something else. And they probably could have gotten away with it um, after they, they split with Activision, but they, they kind of persisted with it through quite tricky times. So, yeah, there might be something in that. This is the one thing we're doing. So we want to just do that as well as we can. Um, uh, I think there are yeah. moments the community would have, like, by and large, celebrated a Destiny 3 being made, because I think a lot of the received wisdom about Destiny 2 and the state it was in, certainly around Shadowkeep and stuff, was just that, oh, this is aging technology that they're battling, and, you know, it's better to just scrap it and start again with Destiny 3, and, I, you know, it, I, I heard interviews with Bungie around that time, and they were just like, well, you know we're working on this there is more that this can give and they've like redid a whole bunch of things with beyond light's release like beyond light was really sort of a a fresh start for the game it was very much it moving into you know the second era of destiny 2 they announced the three expansions at once um which has now become four because they've added a another one onto the end of their their little saga um mm. and it, it really felt like from that point they had a plan for where they wanted to take the game. And that's had a real shift in how the community has responded to it. Like even when things even when things happen that pe- that, you know, subreddits don't agree with or the the influencers uh, that are important to the community don't agree with, there's there's no longer a, this suggestion that, oh, you should just scrap Destiny 2 and start again. Like I think everybody's accepted, no, this is the game that is gonna last. Mm. Yeah, that's a, like a that's a big battle to fight. Um yeah. And uh, I know over the years that kind of community has been frustrating to you, Phil. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how annoying is the Destiny community and like um, uh, the way it behaves? Because yeah, they're, they're just oh, seems what like a leading a... question. <laughs> Sorry, let me start again and just how say, annoying are these? Books? <laughs> I did write how annoying is that in, in this uh, document. That's maybe mm. not very friendly. I suppose like. Tell me about the whole community element of Destiny and what it's like dealing with that as a, a player who follows the game professionally to some degree. I I find myself getting exacerbated a lot, and part of it is because not to not to be like, don't you know who I am? But <laughs> I've talked to a, I've talked to a few game developers over the year. I know a, a little bit about like the problems. I, I guess I sympathise with the problems of making a game like this more than mm. say somebody who is frustrated about the thing that they're currently being killed by in crucible who <laughs> rants on the subreddit and gets you know thousands of upvotes does um and you know their frustration is real but the thing that i often find is that the solutions or fixes they want feel very short term and immediate it's like i'm having this problem they should do this to fix it rather than I'm having this problem and it is part of a systemic problem that needs to be addressed in like a few different ways and that is probably being worked on. Mm. Um, And some of it is just, 
I find a lot of the discussion is very led by the YouTube community and the Twitch streamers and stuff like that. Um, and a big example of that is when uh, the PvP switched to, um, what's it called? The matchmaking, skill-based matchmaking. That did not go down well at all. And part of it was just like, there was this constant like complaining from the YouTubers and the streamers who rely on basically owning newbies to look good in compilations. And a lot of that discourse <laughs> sort of came through into the subreddits and into sort of community complaints until it essentially got overturned. And now a lot of people are complaining that, oh, this connection-based matchmaking, like I'm just constantly being matched up against people who are better than me. I have no way to learn. And it's like, yes, that that's the problem that you're facing. Like every PvP matchmaking system has its problems. Um, mm. But the solutions aren't necessarily always readily apparent. Yeah. I mean, you know, you and I know that from uh, having our ass kicked into Apex to the point where we basically retired from the game. Yeah. Skill-based matchmaking. I so, mean, that's uh, the other the difficult thing, because Apex does have skill-based matchmaking. It just yeah. felt like it was constantly overestimating our level of skill. Probably because, yeah. you know, we were queuing up as, like, a stack of three people, which always always makes the matchmaking a little harder on you, I think, because they expect you to be talking about in-game strategy and tactics and not necessarily what you've been watching on TV. <laughs> yeah, plus it seemed to stop doing the thing where it would reset at a new season, so we'd have, like, yeah. three, three wins in, like, about two days. We used to get so, away with yeah. it by taking a week or two off and we'd sort of get the <laughs> soft reset where we could get a win or two and feel good before getting back to the grind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I, I somewhat sympathise with the YouTubers and their kill uh, compilations of uh, noobs. Um, but, yeah. Um, Phil, uh, you kind of have followed the story to some extent. I remember going through different um, missions and raids with you and you flying off somewhere to go and collect a lore egg to understand the story. Did um, shoot some you, lore eggs. Yeah. Um, do you think you can break down the Destiny story concisely? Like, what is the kind of top line? I guess... Top line, most concise version is that the metaphysical concepts of complexity and simplicity are having a fight, and you are a space wizard. <laughs> I see. Okay. Well, I think that's all we need to know about that. So that's uh, that's good. Yeah, I did want to kind of like make reference to the great Destiny Two Gun or Craft Beer Quiz Phil <gasps> that yes. we ran on uh, PC Gamer. Um, it, this came up at the weekend actually because a friend of mine like found one of them, which was like it was albino frog warrior or something which is an, a beer that he suggested to me for it because he's like a beer head um that was fun i feel like there's probably a newer version of that to be done now but um yeah do you have fond memories of that i feel like we, the, did we almost get bungie to retweet it but it didn't work on mobile devices so I, again, I think I, I think the quiz embed didn't work on mobile devices so they wouldn't put it in the this week at bungie blog post that they did oh. each week and it's like oh that's heartbreaking that was a very good quiz um <laughs> That was a, also a very difficult quiz. I think we we really upped the difficulty there by including a both option by finding a bunch of craft beers that <laughs> were just the same name as Destiny guns. It's like, yeah, this is proof that this quiz needs to happen, and also that even Destiny fans won't be able to do well at it. <laughs> yeah, it was that was it. it was Destiny to exotic or craft beer? Yes. Like, um, so he cheated a bit by throwing in like vehicles and really obscure stuff. That, um, but it, yeah, such a good idea. Like, I feel like. 
that's the culmination of all the work I ever did on PC Gamer in some ways. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was... And to an extent, An- Andy Kelly's obsession with the name Hebridean Thought Crime. <laughs> Which, Which well, is an actual real thing in Destiny, isn't it? That is, it was a Destiny One ship, if I remember correctly. Yes. Yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, that is. Uh, that, I do remember Andy bringing that up a lot. Yeah, good times. <laughs> um, so I suppose, like, before we get to the two top fives, Phil, what do you see as the, the future of Destiny being beyond Lightfall? It's Lightfall and the final shape, right? Like, um, you say that there's endless life in Destiny Two, and I think I agree with you. Destiny Two is kind of a platform, isn't it? In, in yeah. some ways now. So, do you see a Destiny beyond this, or do you think this is the way it should be now? Um, so, yeah, I think there is. I think again, I, it seems clear that they're continuing with Destiny Two, and so whatever comes after that will be a part of the game as it is currently. Um, I'm I'm kind of interested in where it will go. So, you know, I was being slightly glib with the top line summary of the story. Um, but one thing Bungie's got really good at since um, I think the second season of Beyond Light onwards is kind of crafting a story that is centered less around kind of the big, weird... Um, law concepts and is more about applying those concepts to actual characters that you can, you know, grow to care about. Um, so a lot of what they've done recently is kind of, you have these forces of light, which is the complexity one, and dark, which is trying to whittle everything down until the to the universe's final shape. And everyone is essentially being forced to pick a side, and that means we're making allies out of factions that were previously enemies and stuff. Mm. Um, so previously it was the Fallen and this guy called Mithrax, who actually appeared right at the start of Destiny 2 in like a random post-campaign mission where there was this one Fallen captain you could choose to kill or spare. Um which I, I think most players missed was even a choice and just instantly Nova bombed him the moment they saw him <laughs> and before the dialogue had even played about, oh, we could let him go. But canonically, Guardians do let him go. Uh, and now he's the leader of a faction that's aligned with the city and the Guardians. And um, Callus's daughter is uh, one of our allies now as well. And um, as of... Uh, yeah, season of the chosen, where we sort of battle her forces for a right to be pals, essentially, um, in, which which culminates in a strike that has some very audacious game show style flair for the final boss reveal in a way that suggests this is definitely the daughter of Callus. Like she's she's learned some showmanship. <laughs> yeah. So you've got all these characters kind of interacting in ways dealing with like the higher level stuff but it's also when you when your main story is based around yeah the two sort of primal concepts it's hard to see what the threat is after that hmm. it, it's um i mean i assume this is a constant problem that like comic book writers and stuff <laughs> are dealing with is like once you've once you've introduced and dealt with the biggest possible threat in the universe, how can you create a bigger possible threat? Um, um, multiverses, Phil. That's what exactly. Done. <laughs> so maybe it's multiverses. Um, I think there's been some like speculation that maybe like we'll start to go beyond the solar system. There's definitely been a lot of references about weird planets and um, 
Vex homeworlds and stuff and things that we could see. Um, mm. So maybe there'll be some of that, but maybe they will just double down on the fact that increasingly Destiny is moving towards this kind of ongoing, almost soap opera drama uh, set in a universe with space magic and uh, sad wizard goths. <laughs> Do you have to have all of the sort of season passes to see that content, Phil? Is it contingent on on you having that investment in it? Uh, yeah, to get the weekly stories, they're sort of attached to each season. So um, right now we're running through Season of the Haunted, which is the one that Callus returns for. Uh, and it's about, it's essentially Season of Therapy, where uh, <laughs> Zavala and um, Crow, who's a fairly recent addition to the, the cast, um, are, are dealing with and kind of fixing the haunted manifestations of their past regrets. Yeah, okay. I hate when that happens. Mm. So, yeah. Um that's cool. Uh, is it too much to ask how Callus returns like uh is that kind of a spoiler or is 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 it best kind of left for the game itself? Um it's one of those tricky things where like you can't you can't see Callus in his original form. But did you play um Presage last year? It was that haunted kind of cabal ship full of scorn and no i missed that unfortunately oh did you miss that one um yeah oh so that was great it was like callus had disappeared with the leviathan and there was just this you, you get this thing that's just like hey there's a, a abandoned cabal spaceship that's broadcasting a defense uh distress signal go and investigate oh, i think i did do this actually is this where you briefly go into space when you're floating around yeah that's right there's a little jumping puzzle around the outside of space for a bit and then you've got to shoot a lot of spores to get through glowing doors uh, yeah. and also there are sort of creepy noises as you go through and then it's all the scorn and stuff appear and uh rush at you and um basically a lot where a lot of the um factions are starting to ally with us because having lots of life seems better than having only one type of life in terms of uh, where where you want the universe to ultimately end up. Callus is very much team, I will be the last thing in existence. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. got, he's, he's more Callus than ever. <laughs> okay, that's uh, that's great. I'm glad to hear it. Um, all of this is uh, teeing up to me um, uh, playing a bunch more of it. I have had it reinstalled for a while, so uh, yeah, I should um, I should get on that so you can um, I can live stream a quest log to you. That'd be good. Um, okay, Basically. cool. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate you talking me through the uh, sort of like destiny overview there, Phil. That was uh, it was a great journey through the game's history. Um, Got two top five lists here. So the first top five list is things to do in Destiny 2. So how did you go about assembling this? Uh, well, so step one is only list things that are in the game right now currently. Right. Um, so if it was part of this quote-unquote content vault where you know they remove it because uh, it's not relevant or it's not part of the sort of up-to-date current storylines... Uh, yeah, I didn't. I decided not to put that in because it seems like a bad way to introduce people to the game by telling them, <laughs> "Here's all the fun stuff you could have won." Yeah, completely fair. Um, and you've definitely picked some stuff here that 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 I I like. Um, yeah. So, so I, yeah, I've also like 
the worst version of this list, I think, would be if I just said, oh, here's a top five list of things to do, and three of them are raids. So I've, <laughs> I've kind of picked what I think is the best raid to experience under the category of this is the pinnacle of this type of thing, and we can discuss other examples of that type of thing when we go through. Yeah. Um, I Basically, I cheated so I could fit a lot of things that I want to talk about into a list of five things. <laughs> That's completely fair. Um, so, <laughs> hit me with your number five here, Phil. My number five, because I had to have a controversial choice first, was uh, Gambit. The video ah. game mode Gambit. Um, not the most beloved uh, mode by the subreddit, certainly. Um, possibly <laughs> the community at large, I don't know. I, I enjoy Gambit. It's a good idea. It's had its ups and downs, but to explain what's happening here, basically it's kind of a it's kind of a race between two teams. Um you both load into different versions of the same map and you're just racing to kill and kill the most things, pick up the glowing moats they drop and bank them in a big tank. Um and in doing that, you'll mess up the other team. So if you bank a certain number of moats, you'll send a big enemy to their side that they have to deal with before they can bank moats. And then at certain points when you bank enough, you get to invade them and try and kill them so that they drop their moats. Um, so yeah, it's advertised as PvPVE, which is... We need a better <laughs> name for this type of thing. But <laughs> yeah. I, do, I do really like the concept of like... Uh, Destiny's full PvP mode, like the Crucible, as it's called, is it can be a lot. Like sometimes you don't want to deal with directly competing against other players and their good aim when you're in your late thirties. <laughs> so this yeah. is just: can I kill things fast, faster than another team? And sometimes the answer is yes. <laughs> and I think a lot of where the complaints about it come from is that people will go into Gambit with sort of vastly different expectations of how to play it, or they just want to invade the other team, um, which can be a great help, but can also be frustrating if you need somebody to do a different job in that moment. Um, this is where, like, matchmaking can... You, you can't you can't expect everybody that you matchmake with to have the sort of same priorities as you, and you can potentially match against a team of people who are just chatting, and they have a huge advantage if they're on comms, even if they're not really taking it seriously. Just being able to organise how you go and to go about the objective is a huge advantage in a mode like that. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like I always really enjoyed it. It was. It, the, it seemed like genuine innovation in, as a multiplayer mode. Like, um, you know, they thought really carefully about how to do it, and then like, it's it's like the there's there's two people doing the two sets of people doing the same task, mm. and then at some point there is this almost perverse joy to kind of going through that portal, yeah. and then like killing all you know multiple people on on their side, and then coming kind of coming back a returning hero, or like feeling a bit bad when you whiffed it, like. There was such a visceral thrill to going through that portal. Like I, I don't think I don't think you can call Gambit bad on that basis alone. You know, um, I think like you say, it's had some ups and downs. How is it these days? Because I remember it seemed slightly broken when Beyond Light came out. Is it in a good place now? Yeah. So 
this this is probably unfair to say, but when Beyond Light came out, it felt like the balance changes they'd made to Gambit were done with like the attitude of, well, if the community doesn't like it, let's just ensure it's over quickly. Right. So they cut down a lot of the complexity of it, and it, it just became this sort of panicked dash that didn't give enough time for there to be the kind of upsets and turnarounds, like the thing where the other team, they, they summon the final boss that they've got to defeat to actually win the mode first, but because of invasions and because of the, these other things, it used to be like you could have some really dramatic upsets in that phase, whereas... Mm. Post Beyond Light, it just felt constantly like if you summon first, the damage problem because of the way the like seasonal mods and power worked at the time, it, it, damage wasn't a problem. If you got it up first, you'd kill it first. That was it. Hmm. And they've they've added a bit more complexity to that phase now, to the final boss phase. That does mean invades are a bit more impactful, and you can have turnarounds and. Um, yeah, it's helped. Like, I'm not playing it as much as I was back in the Forsaken days. Um, and some of that isn't actually about the way the mode is structured itself as much as um, for the 30th anniversary um, release, uh, Bungie released Galahorn, which was a Destiny 1 rocket launcher, and they put it into Destiny 2. And that gun solves every problem that Gambit puts in front of you. Right, okay. If you need to, you, you want to kill trash mobs, Galahorn's really good at that. It splits into wolf backgrounds that like cover a big area and will kill lots of things. If somebody invades you or you're invading them, Gambit solves it. Uh, Galahorn solves it, sorry, because it's a tracking rocket launcher that will home in on enemies. And if you need to do a lot of boss damage, Galahorn's a pretty good choice. So like all three potential problems that uh, Gambit presents, Galahorn can just solve. It's a bit too versatile for a mode that previously kind of uh, made its bread and butter on making you think about okay, well I want to do, be an invader so I've got to have a very different loadout to say somebody else who is going to be rushing to get all the moats. Yeah, that that makes sense uh, for them, but yeah I could see why that would be uh, that would be an issue. Um, have they like? Do they still add content to it? Because that was the other problem. Is it felt like they forgot about it on that level in terms of just the simple act of adding maps to it. I say simple, not simple, but you know, they, they, it felt like it got less care than some of the other parts of the game. Yeah, they've still not added anything new to it, really. Uh, I think they've talked a bit about looking at it, and uh, they, they've at least restored a thing that it used to originally do, where there are like different patterns or and types of enemies that can load into maps uh, that now change on a seasonal basis um, apparently when they changed Gambit I think around Beyond Light or maybe even with Gambit Prime they it, something broke and so it was sort of stuck on uh, default settings but they, they can mix up enemy patterns for what that's worth so for number 4 I have uh, picked specifically the uh, Lake of Shadows version of the Grandmaster Nightfall. Um, yeah. So, so, what, so what is the Grandmaster Nightfall for people who don't know? Grandmaster Nightfalls are basically the hardest thing you can do in the game. Um, the Nightfalls are Nightfalls are based on strikes, which are sort of three-player PVE activities. They're sort of like. Sp- 
extended missions um, designed for three people where you just go and kill a big boss or something. Um, they are of wildly variable quality and some of them have been in the game now for five years and a lot of people are kind of sick of them. Right. Um, it, it, it's a thing that until uh, recently hadn't seen much of in the way of a shake-up. Um, Witch Queen helped with that because it, it released two strikes itself but also it um, took a bunch of the seasonal activity from one of the Beyond Light seasons and sort of turned it into strikes and put it in the game. So the playlist is a bit more varied now if you go into it. Nightfalls, though, are on a re- weekly rotation and they have um, selectable difficulty. I think at the lowest phase, which might be Hero, um, it's essentially... It's, it's not much more difficult than the strike version. Um, but on Grandmaster, you are locked to, I think, 25 light levels below um, its difficulty. Right. So everything hurts. Um, there are things that can effectively one-shot you if you don't build to resist them. Um, it's it's meant to be... They, they changed the name of Nightfall to Nightfall, the ordeal. And so Grandmaster is meant to be the most ordeal that it can be. Um, Which probably sounds quite off-putting, but the reason I put it there as a kind of aspirational thing, like, it gets to the heart of what what I'm really enjoying at the moment when it comes to Destiny, which is the bit before um, we do anything, where we're just sat around thinking, okay, this is what we're about to deal with. Like, before you go in, it gives you the set of modifiers, um the ways that they tweak the difficulty for the harder challenges like Legend, Master, and Grandmaster content. And the Grandmaster one is just huge. It's it's an entire bar full of uh, different modifiers that will all screw you over in some way. But, you know, you're looking through and you're looking at the types of um, shields that you'll need to take down, the types of champions that require special mods to deal with and stuff like that. And it's like a little puzzle for three people to solve of, like, how do we make sure we are equipped with everything we need to get through this? Mm. Yeah, see, my memory of this is that uh, you and Tom would tell me exactly what to put on my guns, and then <laughs> I, I would go in and still be largely inadequate, but um, kind of bailed out by the two of you. So uh, uh, what um, what is particularly special about, uh, about Lake of Shadows out of those, um, those strikes? So the good thing about Lake of Shadows is it is one of the shorter ones. It's also one of the easier ones. Like, I, I felt a bit... I, I don't know. It, it felt a bit much putting Grandmaster Nightfalls as one of the top things to do in Destiny when it's like... Certainly if you're getting started with the game, that's deep, deep into the future kind of stuff. Like, it, it's a thing that you need to have a sort of expertise in a lot of its systems. You need to understand mods you need to understand like which weapons work for different situations and why so so for me it's sort of like this is the expression of you know the hundreds slash thousands of hours i've put into this series over however many years it's like okay i can finally use like this acquired knowledge for a thing that actually challenges me to think about exotic choices, weapon choices, mod choices, and, like, with the new um, 
aspects of fragment system, which is how you sort of construct your subclass, how to fit all that together into something that kind of makes the task easier. Lake of Shadows, then, is sort of the best entry point into that. Um, the problem is it only runs certain seasons, because each season they cycle between, I think, eight different Nightfalls. Right, right, right. I don't think it's up this season. There are some other easy ones. I think Insight Terminus is generally accepted to be pretty doable. Um, but yeah. yeah, if you if you're sort of if you if you're dabbling in the game and you see the Lake of Shadows is up on the Nightfall schedule, that's the time to like test yourself a bit further. If you yeah. if you've sort of been doing match made versions or if you've been doing the low level ones, then try legend, try master. Like it's a good entry point into the next level of difficulty of the game. Yeah, I do think that something that um, I, I like about I liked about doing um, night uh, nightfalls with you and Tom is that um, it does give you that next layer of challenge. I think like Destiny can risk becoming like breathing after a while, where you don't really think about the things you're doing in front of you because you're farming or you're just in, you know inertly shooting enemies because you're just happen to be in a place and so your yeah. brain switches off from it and that that makes you think about every movement in a way that you know turns it into a truly skill-based game but it, but it not but in the combat sense rather than the coordinating yourselves in the kind of raid sense you know so mm. uh yeah for sure that's a good one um, yeah i mean I, I guess the thing i've not really talked about uh yeah is sort of I guess what it is about Destiny that kind of scratches the itch in terms of wanting to put so many hours into it, and uh, like this seems like a good place to drop it. Like, yes, there is that kind of the sort of mindless churn phase where you're just on a planet or you're just doing like one of the seasonal activities or something for some decent guns, and you know you've got a podcast on, you don't need to think about it. You're just kind of enjoying a very tactile shooting system with a generous amount of bullet magnetism and aim assist that makes you feel good. Um, but I guess the reward for all that hour, all those hours of like for both the low level kind of farming or the low level seasonal stuff, doing bounties, doing little checklists like that, is that you start to build up a kind of library of both experience and tools specifically weapons but also armor and just general mods and things like that that yeah it feels really good to be able to apply that to something that is like the complete opposite in terms of challenge and how much sort of focus and attention you need to put on it yeah for sure that's uh that is quite an extraordinary uh, skill ceiling to it really when you think about it okay that's great phil um so what's your number three number three is something you samuel should be familiar with it is <laughs> prophecy Oh. That's one of uh, one of a few dungeons that um, Destiny has. This is a fairly sort of new addition, I guess, in terms of the the entire length of the series. Like dungeons are for three people, whereas raids are for a full team of six. Um, they're kind of a little raid light. Um, a bunch of encounters and bosses and jumping puzzles sort of strung together in like usually a unique sort of thematic location yeah for sure so you put prophecy here are you pandering to me here phil or do you truly believe this is the best one out of the is it uh, five they've got in there now 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I'm just thinking. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, it's five. Um, bit of both, I think. It's hard. <laughs> um, I think uh, the the fourth one, um, Grasp of Avarice, which is the one that came with the 30th anniversary pack, that is a very good dungeon to take people through the first time because right. it is Bungie absolutely doubling down on their kind of very dickish trap-based level design. Like, they have they have a real love of, like, putting some loose rocks in the wrong place or just in, just in a general, like, the Whisper. There's, I remember one bit of the Whisper jumping puzzle that just has, like, a little bit of floor that's crumbled away that makes it really awkward to get over and will definitely fuck people up the first time. Um... <laughs> Grasp of Avarice is them d- just celebrating that mentality. Like, the opening section of it is just like, here are three doors. Guess which one won't kill you? Right. Yeah. Yeah, so I imagine that dims slightly on a replay. Uh, yeah, I mean, eventually it becomes like, as after all the dungeons, it just becomes like a bunch of encounters to the, the, that you've grown used to, that you sort of you start to enjoy executing with a bit more skill with a bit more sort of grace and stuff and that's why you know there there are always challenges with dungeons and raids for like doing them flawless or doing them solo and so you start to build up this mastery that was like then pushes you towards different challenges um Mm -hmm. with prophecy for instance we for some reason got it in our head that we should speed run it in under 30 minutes (laughs) and we did Um, it right oh we did do it yeah yeah, um, and like I, I love prophecy because um, I think it just it does capture the kind of like specific visual feel element of the raids in terms of like mm. you go to a place that doesn't feel like any of the other locations in the game. Um, this almost like prog rock looking uh, sort of like purple desert with like yeah. weird buildings around, and then um this very strange kind of like racetrack that re- goes through these kind of like weird shapes and while you're being sniped uh, you got and you got to try not to fall off the sides and then um this bizarre final room where you're chasing this dude down the end of a corridor like the things it shows you are just so so dreamy and they put so much effort into the soundscape and stuff and like that applies to all of these but that one really just sticks in the in the mind like i feel like i was noticing slightly different things about it each time we did it or the the ridiculous room fill that we you're fighting on a different part of the ceiling or the, the yeah. side each time like um yeah just just kind of magic um what's the, what's the yeah sorry go on well so that that is ultimately i mean yes a bit of it was like yeah, samuel knows prophecy we'll pick that one <laughs> but um <laughs> part of it is also just like of all the dungeons that one is the most sort of out there in terms of design in the conceptually it's it's designed as a conversation between the player and i guess a group of consciousnesses that are the representations of each of the planets in the solar system mm. and so I, 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 i've got to a point where i can say all these things with a straight face but the 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 benefit of bungie's kind of everything in the kitchen sink approach to law is that it, it does open them up for kind of weird and abstract and sort of suggestive design like this. Like, that can fit into a thing that just has space Mars from the future as well. Yeah. 
I must admit I missed the subtext of uh, prophecy of what you described there. But like, um, I certainly just it, just that some of the kind of music cues that would kick in, where you'd hear like kind of slightly weird kind of like opera singing in the background, or just weird kind of vocals, and it, just so much effort was put into creating that sense of place. And like, um, I just like the idea that you could get a little taste of what the the raids are like without having all those people and all that coordination and like setting a day aside. So yeah. Yeah, that's that's rad. What's the what's the most recent one like? Is that good? Uh, yeah, I mean the most recent one is called Duality, and uh, it is very much based around uh, Callus. Um, and again, it, it's very thematic more than it is like a, a sort of extant space. Right. Um, and so essentially, you're sort of touring through representations of his past. Um, Anyway, it's cool, and actually, like Prophecy, it is surprisingly difficult in places as well. Like, um, it's kind of weird. Grasp of Aravarus kind of lulled me into a false sense of security a bit, because that's a relatively easy one for for Bungie's uh, dungeon design. But yeah, going into duality, it's like, oh yeah, no, there was a time when these were properly hard. Like, Prophecy really kicked our ass at the beginning as well. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And then it just somehow got easier and easier. I don't know. I don't really know why, but like, um, I w- I didn't mind too much. But uh, yeah, it was like, okay, this is the swords bit. So get your swords out, and like, we will take this one weapon into the final boss, and that's fine. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that that's cool. Um, a, a dungeon and callus. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's bait, sir. That's uh, <laughs> that'll work on me. Excited to talk about this one. Your number two, Phil. What have you? What have you got here? So number two is, uh, yeah, the Witch Queen's Legendary Campaign. So yeah, we mentioned we'd be talking about uh, the Witch Queen campaign, and that is because it's like a surprising step up in quality from anything that Bungie's done before for Destiny. They they t- they they sort of mentioned this and they hyped it up before the Witch Queen was released and you know they were going around making comparisons to like the new Doom games and other sort of recent like very good FPS campaigns and part of me was like yeah okay we'll see <laughs> because very little of what was done before especially recently with Shadowkeep and Beyond Light it was like for for actual missions you can make some very good things but it always felt like there was only like three or four actual missions and a lot of it was padded out between stuff and then, yeah, the Witch Queen came out, and genuinely, it is probably one of the best shooter campaigns I've played for certainly the last couple of years. Um, mm. Like in terms of, uh, I mean, story very good. Like leans into some of the more the weirder elements of uh, Destiny's background lore in a way that it always felt like Bungie was sometimes afraid of doing. It felt like, okay, for a single planker campaign, we've just got to make this, we've got to make this the basic stuff for the normies to to kind of deal with before before we hide away like the weird sci-fi writing project in a lore book that only, <laughs> only the hardcore will bother collecting. Whereas... Yeah. Here they're just straight up like, yeah, no, this is an ancient race that made a deal with some worms and now must kill constantly, otherwise they will be eaten from within. And here is a character who represents why that might be a bum deal for them. (laughs) Think about their feelings. 
<laughs> That's right. So I think like a really good question to ask here is like, if you are a new player to Destiny and you pick up um, Witch Queen, maybe like a bundle with some of the other expansions, like, will you recognize this as a great shooter campaign, even if you don't have that deep background with Destiny itself? Uh, it is hard for me to answer that just because, like, You're it's hard man. to put... I'm in deep, so so some of it is just like, man, this really surprised me, somebody who is used to not expecting much from Destiny campaigns. Um, but also, like, I've put, uh, you know, I, I, I've talked it up a lot. I've had, um, to the point where uh, uh, PC Gamers Online editor Fraser Brown has checked it out, and Fraser is a person who is not shy of calling me out on my shit when it comes to Destiny. Like... <laughs> If I said this was a good campaign, and when he played it, he thought it was bad, he would have let me know, and he would have relished doing so as oh, an yeah. excuse to call me out on talking about Destiny. But no, he also thought it was really good. Like the design of the levels, the encounter design, like the surprises that just happen, sort of moment to moment. Um, I also specifically called out the legendary campaign here because. I, when I call out Grandmaster Nightfalls earlier as like this is an aspirational thing that this is what you're aiming for, like when you're starting your destiny journey, it's like you are learning things for the point where you get to here. I think for the legendary campaign, the way they've balanced it and the way that they've um like they don't rely on um champions which require specific mods and specific knowledge of how certain things work to defeat mm. efficiently. Like the legendary campaign is just a good, difficult campaign. And even if you've not got the best guns, and even if you're sort of still learning what your powers do, it's sort of a great opening kind of challenge. If 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 what you like is is not necessarily difficult destiny encounters, but difficult shooter encounters, like if if you like to challenge yourself with Doom Eternal's campaign or whatever, like that's a good comparison in terms of difficulty. Like it will kick your ass, but as you learn how to get around it, you will gain a deeper appreciation of the systems that Destiny offers to overcome that kind of a challenge. Mm, that's quite an interesting selling point. So, like, uh, so, so in terms of like how it functions as a Destiny campaign versus other Destiny campaigns, is it like more set PC, less set PC? Like, is it kind of does it sort of bend the rules of how Destiny traditionally does set pieces? Because Sometimes Destiny campaigns can just feel like a collection of enemies in an environment as opposed to like feeling like they necessarily have like a bespoke sort of uh, structure to them in a way that a Doom Eternal might. I, I don't maybe I'm being a bit unfair there, but you know what I mean? Like, Phil, this, this, uh, you know, there's I some. Do. Yeah, go ahead. It, it, it's weird. In, that, in a sense, they've kind of templated things a bit more in terms of how they how they deliver the structure. Like, the way they have made the campaign now, and I assume we'll do in future, just based on, like, A, the amount of programming it needed to, like, change a bunch of things in how campaigns operated, but B, like, how positive the reception to the Witch Queen campaign was. Like, I think this is the, de the sort of template now. Uh, the campaign missions work more like dungeons now in the you sort of go through the environmental stuff you get the story you kind of yeah, have a few skirmishes with enemies and then you'll get to an area and you'll see like one of the rally flag locations and rally flags work 
um, by they just refill all your ammo, they refill all your super, they just make sure you have maximum everything. And when they appear, you know, okay, this is an encounter that's coming up. And campaign missions didn't used to have those. Uh, that that used to be like a raid thing. It was a dungeon thing. Now they're in the campaign missions. Like they they sort of flag to you. Here comes the difficult part of this. They they sort of they expose like how you pace a shooter level essentially. Mm. Um, but then you do it, and you get a bunch of chests at the end. You get like mid mission rewards, and then you're off to the next thing. And and so. They've made it. They've sort of given you a peek behind the curtains. They've revealed, you know, they've shown a bit of artifice there. But also, it means that they've done it in a way that now feels consistent with what you're building towards, which is raids and dungeons and that kind of thing. Um, it, it it doesn't feel like here's a campaign. After you finished it, you will do a bunch of things that have no relation to how a campaign works. Yeah. So in that sense, there is sort of a template. Sorry. No, as I say, like it just sounds like I. I think, like you say, the um, rally flags always give. They always punctuate the different activities in the game. They do make them feel a bit eventy. So I like the idea of like just outright telling the player something big is coming up and then kind of like owning that moment a little bit means that the, the burden is on them to to make something exciting that comes after it so that, that seems like a good thing you know yeah and, and that's the thing like there's there, there is artifice there you can see it it feels a little less organic but the benefit of that is like it's very clearly telling you what to prepare for and it means that they I think they knew, like, okay, if we're doing rally flags, if we're doing that, we have to then make, like, even if it's just a combat encounter, even if there's not, like, a grand surprise, of which there's, like, a few big surprising moments. Like, there were moments I was like, holy shit. But even if it's just a mid-mission thing, they, they've they come up with a good way to make it feel like, like a good, weighty fight against some tough enemies in, like, in ways that will challenge you. Oh, okay, rad. Um, right, okay, well, I have that installed. I'm going to play that right after this podcast because Hell yeah. I do need to get back into that so uh, you and Tom can take me through all the cool shit I've been missing for the last two years. So, uh... I will also say the soundtrack for The Witch Queen is on point. Like, Destiny soundtracks, there's usually, like, a few good things, like a, f- a few songs that will stick with you in each soundtrack, and usually it's big moments, often in raids. Like, there's one in Beyond Light that plays... Uh, during the jumping puzzle, which is out in space, called, I think, Deep Stone Lullaby, that everybody was raving about. I think Tim did a post on PC Gamer about that <laughs> moment specifically. But the Witch Queen, vibes are impeccable. <laughs> That's fantastic. Um, we've also, that was also like a peak Tim Clark content there. Um, <laughs> a, a PC Gamer article about one track and a Destiny raid. Um <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's one of the raids I haven't seen, so uh, hmm, interesting. Okay, um, so last up then here, Phil, um, you've got your number one. Um, hit, hit me with your number one. So I think it had to be uh, a raid, and so I have picked uh, The Last Wish. Right, which... yeah. Um, so this is the one where um, to, to you could cheat through it by battering a, a guy in the head with a sword, is that right? Oh, no, we're battering a foot with a sword. Is that right? We batter a foot with a sword. Yeah, so <laughs> so one of the downsides to The Last Wish is that uh, players very quickly worked out the, the final boss, which, uh, I mean, it's been out for a while. I think I can spoil the reveal. But it's against a large dragon that grants wishes. <laughs> and you can dispatch it by, uh, instead of doing the mechanics, just sort of hiding in a room, hoping that the boss turns up at the right step of her 
cycle and then throwing every sword you have at her foot uh, until you DPS enough to get to the next stage. <laughs> I am sort of robbing it of some of its majesty there, though, Phil. A little bit, I feel. <laughs> um, because it is, like, extraordinary in terms of, like, uh, sort of visual design, and I, I don't think any step in it is necessarily bad either, whereas some of the raids ne- do cro- creep over into that a bit. So do you want to explain what the kind of structure of it is? Yeah, so it's... Um, Essentially, a bunch of... It's like, it follows on a lot of story steps from The Taken King, um, which is when uh, Oryx, who was one of the Hive Gods, uh, corrupted a bunch of, like, enemies and turned them to his own faction. And then, it turns out, also did it to this secret uh, Awoken City, which was the hidden destination in Forsaken uh, that I mentioned earlier. And... Attached to that was the raid, which takes place across this city, and you're basically just cleaning up a lot of messes left over from that and trying to break into the vault to, it said pretty explicitly at the start, to kill the last Ahamkara, which is one of these dragons. And so you know you're building up to that moment. But the way they sort of execute it, and especially like the final third, when you're sort of breaking into the vault, and then you get the reveal of the boss, which is a great moment in itself you sort of stand on a bunch of platforms around a room and they just drop in and then even people who know sort of what they're getting um even people have explained like what the boss will be they see it as they drop down and think oh shit because hmm. you sort of realize oh that's what we're fighting okay that's going to be a lot to deal with and then you have to essentially carry her heart back through half of the raid again um in a section that can be quite grueling, if I remember the first time we all did it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so <laughs> it is like, so you step on the plates and then you drop down into this, like, it's like a dark kind of circular hall. Is that right? And then it's just yeah. there in the shadows and it's just mm-hmm. gigantic. Just coiled around this pillar. Yeah. Yeah. I just, yeah, that is quite the reveal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Amazing. I think like the thing that really bamboozled me about this one is there's a lot of like, symbol shooting at, in specific bits that I just I couldn't quite wrap my head around that that element of it but like yeah um, yeah and I think this was this might be the first one where Bungie really relied on giving you a bunch of pictures that all looked kind of similar <laughs> and made you have to impart the information of which one you were looking at to a completely different team who couldn't see it um <laughs> And that is that is a tried and true raid design trick that they've come back to again and again, including in the most recent raid, uh, Vow of Disciple, where there are even more symbols. And they've tried to get around that by giving them all official names. Like when you go into the raid, you can sort of look at this gallery of all the symbols you're about to deal with. And if you walk up to them, it will say in the top corner what their official name is. Right. And obviously nobody remembered the first day or even bothered to to learn them so you just end up with the most like ridiculous call outs i think we were we were just shouting out oh i'm looking at pink floyd's dark side of the moon because i decided (laughs) one of the symbols looked a bit like the cover to that album and refused to not say its full name every time yeah that's fair i like i think like the example of this i always remember is like there was a dog or a wolf or something like that in maybe it was in leviathan um yes 
and like there would just be like someone would say the most obscure term for like a dog possible the, and then the worst one there for leviathan and this was this is a thing that tom hatfield is still annoyed that i won't let him live down <laughs> and so i'm sure he'll be most pleased that i'm bringing it up in a podcast now is that i think we were calling one of the call outs cup for the entire time and at that one point he decided to call it chalice and everybody's <laughs> minds broke because it had been hours and we were trying to we were still trying to like process what we were doing, and then suddenly this different call out just completely broke us, and then it became all sorts. The whole thing went wrong. Yeah, he did nothing wrong. Like he was technically probably more correct. <laughs> I think he's but... correct. I think it is called Chalice in, officially, but... but it was the moment. It was like just not now, Tom. Kind of like, <laughs> like to it. yeah, that was uh, that was extraordinary. Um, yeah, so the the raids are kind of like just a sort of like magic in themselves. Like they. They do require true commitment. They are like a thing to build up to. And yeah, like yeah. you said, you, you do need five other people. So they're demanding in that respect. There's no matchmaking, right? So it's always I, like, and even if it did, it wouldn't help probably. Um, I picked um, I picked Last Wish knowing it probably wasn't your favourite of the raids that we experienced. And and also not really knowing if you even had a good time when we were doing raids a lot oh, of the time. No, I love them. I, I, <laughs> I, I love them and I really miss them. And like, I, but I... I worried that I wasn't good enough and I was kind of annoying the other people a little bit. Um, and But no, I, I had a great time doing the raids. I mean, admittedly in my head, I do kind of box them off a bit as like pandemic era activities. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like... Um, I think... But, yeah. There was a real... There was a real like... There were kind of moments where I'd get a sense of how how everyone's mental state was going at that time based on like how long you had been muted specifically. <laughs> Oh dear, yeah. I was, I was probably just going through a rough time, but uh, no, I I, I, re- I genuinely enjoyed them. And, and do you know what? Like, I I consider it like a, it sounds dumb, but a great privilege to have seen them because there are so many people who will play Destiny who will never see those raids and will get to experience them in the way that I experienced them. And so, the fact that I got to go through them with people who knew what they were doing and were very patient in explaining things to me and other people who couldn't listen to commands properly. Um, <laughs> No, it's just it was pure magic. Like it's that that's kind of why I, why I see is the magic of of Destiny is like the the peak of FPS design is in there somewhere. Um, you just have to stick with it long enough till you find it and be lucky enough to know people who are playing it. Basically, you know. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've, it's it's difficult to be sort of taught around like what it is Destiny raids do a bit. Uh, I think just because we're sort of sharing memories and commiserating about (laughs) old times, like the time we were really good at Crown of Sorrows and everybody else kept messing up that boss, but we (laughs) had it on point for hours. That that was infuriating. Bad bad waste of a Sunday, that, if I recall, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I just looked up on Steam. 7.2% of uh, the player base have the achievement for completing Last Wish, which is... I mean, it doesn't surprise me. Like, for one thing, raids need six people, and it can be difficult to get six people together. And it really is much better to experience it with um, people that you know than, like, randoms you've met on an LFG Discord or whatever. Although I will I will call out um, the Destiny 2 subreddit. Um, I think it's Raid Sherpers? Let me check. I Like, I've used them a lot, and... A lot of the people I've met through there are just like really good at explaining the encounters and really patient with everybody. And like, if you don't have people to play the game with and you are interested in it, there are 
yeah, I feel I sort of feel bad for calling out the community earlier in terms of like obnoxious posts that are, that get me annoyed on a subreddit right. because you know there are a lot of people who are just like really eager to help you learn and enjoy the game. Um, so yeah, the subreddit is just r slash um, Destiny Sherpa, and I've used it a couple of times to like get through uh, our first clears of like. Um, Deepstone Crypt and the most recent one, Vow of the Disciple, we found we found some of that, and both of them were like really positive experiences. Um, so, like, if you are interested and you want to know where to look, like that's one place. I'm sure there's like some discords as well that are dedicated to helping people out. Um, there are some really useful community tools. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I suppose, yeah, yeah, like. Um, that is that is the strange thing about them is that they are kind of like a weird mix of FPS and puzzle, right? And yeah. like, it's like you and each one is kind of like a challenge. You have to kind of figure out exactly what you do. Whether usually there's some kind of cycle built into how they work, like it's repeating a thing over and over yeah. and, and optimizing. You know, there That's... are a few a few um, few design tropes that Bungie likes to rely on. One of them is like weaving players between different stages of an encounter. So you've got to do multiple jobs like in a different order or calling out certain things. Um while or two teams that have to coordinate with uh themselves before coordinating with each other at the same time in a way that just makes comms really messy. <laughs> uh it feels like they I, I suspect they sort of design these encounters to be like, okay, what does a really elegant version of this fight look like? And how can we stack on a couple of extra mechanics to just make it, like, chaotic? Um, the worst yeah. one for that is the final boss of Garden of Salvation, which I think just is a constant panic. Like, it's just a panic attack for two hours, essentially, <laughs> as you sort of figure out and slowly get towards doing it. But it just never... It can never feel comfortable because you've got multiple teams essentially playing Gambit to the side of you while every platform you're standing on disappears and you have to try and rebuild it while everybody is shouting at you because things are going wrong for them as well. Um, and how you respond to that pressure and the fact that everything is going wrong all the time is kind of a good a good benchmark for how much you'll enjoy raids i think yeah for sure it was like a kind of reappropriation of uh, it was so it reminded me a bit of like magazine stress but just in a different format <laughs> like uh, uh where i was asked to do something a bit different but uh yeah 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 that's uh ah oh, okay yeah good good times doing those uh, the more recent ones top notch too phil am i missing out on some good ones there uh, yeah, so I really like Vow of the Disciple. Uh, part of it is that, um, yes, it does have a lot of ridiculous call-outs. Um, but also, uh, so this was a slightly different one for us because um, me and a couple of friends found three other people and we tried to do it on day one during contest mode, right. um, which is like a harder difficulty that they implement to try and stop like essentially to stop streamers from getting uh, a head up on everyone by over-leveling for the encounters. Right. Um, just to make the sort of raid race on day one a bit more fair, um, uh, level the playing field a bit. Um, so we attempted it, and we did solve a couple of the encounters ourselves. Like, we figured out what we were doing, and that's quite that was quite gratifying because sometimes, especially if you're coming to them late, like hearing the explanation of what you've got to do to complete a particular raid encounter, sometimes you do end up thinking, how does how did anybody figure this out? 
Yeah. And yeah, being a part of that process was kind of cool, but also because it was contest mode, like I think we failed on the second encounter just because it was a very heavy DPS check <laughs> and uh, a lot of the group that we were with just didn't have like the weapons at the time to deal with it. Uh, a lot more forgiving now. We've since done it, and it's not easy, but it's really interesting. Ah. Visually, it's such a cool space as well. It's like inside one of the pyramid ships uh, that appeared in Arrival. And, um, yeah, just like this wild art gallery, essentially, from this uh, strange collector that you have to uh, eventually battle and defeat. That sounds like some uh, yeah some classic Destiny bullshit. Um, oh yeah, that's good. Um, no, it's is it, yeah. I, I do want to see that. It, it is really funny that you kind of measured how the raids were going and how long I'd been silent on the comments. <laughs> um, I actually didn't realize you were doing that, but like uh, uh, only only because like I often fell into the role of sort of explaining the raid to everybody. Um, so I kind of felt like I had to be raid dad and make sure everyone was having a good time. <laughs> Uh, I've recently started going through them again with a bunch of people from the PC Gamer office because like, there were a few people were playing but were playing on their own or uh, had played in the past and had sort of fallen off. So we got a team together and yeah. So I did uh, Last Wish a couple of weeks ago with them and it was very much the similar thing of like, okay, who's not spoken for a while? Well, it's Fraser, of course, but <laughs> uh, as lo- as we're getting through it. He's not complaining. We're getting through it. It'll be fine. <laughs> That's good. This is the ultimate test of you as a manager, I think, on PC Gamer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> That's, that was a good good tactic by me to take my usual management duties and apply them to the video game <laughs> that I play. Oh, that's great. Um, so, uh, last up then, Phil, we're going to do the top five guns in Destiny uh, 2. Um, so, um, oh, yeah. you've got an honourable mention here when we'll get to the top five. Um, I suppose, like, what is, what's your criteria for a, a good gun in Destiny 2? Oh, this was difficult, Sam. <laughs> this one hurt. Because I feel like uh, if you asked me on any particular day, I could have come up with a completely different list. Oh, um, don't tell me you pick your number one just to pander to me. Um, no, no, no. I, that, that, I think that is a pretty much a lock, oh, uh, regardless because I love it. It's one of um, the best experiences I've ever had in a first-person shooter, so yeah, that is fair. Um, but yeah, the, can, yeah, go ahead. So the criteria, I, so again, I've, I wanted to focus on a mix of exotics and legendaries. I didn't want it all to be exotics, because I think uh, you'd be surprised how much of your fondness like for Guns in Destiny isn't about the sort of wild like perks that exotics have. It's about like the workhorses that you you take with you to every encounter. Mm. Uh, I also wanted to make sure there were a couple of guns like from this year's stuff, like post Witch Queen, because um, again, I could have probably filled the list with guns that I earned back in Season of Arrivals. Um, but a lot of them are quite hard to earn now, or quite hard to sort of grind a good role for, because they're just part of the general... Actually, I think they're not even part of the general world loop pool now. I think they only... You can only get them when Zer sells them. Right. Um, so it's like, eh, we'll, we'll focus it on things that you can actively get and that I'm enjoying at the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So what's your first honourable <laughs> mention here? So, saying all that, I did want to give an honourable mention... Uh, to the the video the the gun that broke the video game essentially <laughs> that made them uh, with uh, Beyond Light come up with the entire plan of sunsetting guns so that you couldn't infuse them up to current power level so they would essentially have to be retired uh, once they hit a certain point so this is the gun uh, Recluse which was uh, one of a few of what were called pinnacle weapons um, that you would earn. Uh, from Shadowkeep onwards, 
No, from Forsaken onwards. Um, bunch of these. There used to be one for uh, Strikes, one for Crucible, and one for Gambit. And so many of them ended up essentially breaking the game. Um, Recluse, SMG, with uh, a perk that meant that if you got a kill from any weapon, that gun would then do more damage for like 15 seconds or so. <laughs> so that's just... It, it's it's like Rampage, which is one of the perks that, uh, that many weapons can get, but just much, much stronger. Right. Um, there were a bunch of these, like a mountaintop was a grenade launcher uh, that would fire exactly in a straight line. It had no arc to it, so it was just very easy to use and became a terror in PvP, but was also just one of the strongest guns for anything you could do in the game. It did a lot of blast damage, and so both Recluse and Mountaintop were PvP pinnacle weapons that were desirable in basically anything you do. Like, they would get you through raids, they would get you through anything. And that made a lot of people quite mad because they were forced to play PvP and do well at PvP in some instances to get the strongest gun for every activity in the game. Wow, okay, yeah, that's... uh... Yeah, I could see the, there being some issues there. Um, but... Pinnacles, yeah, were ultimately retired because, <laughs> uh, yeah, they just... they Each one had a unique perk, essentially, and uh, that just meant they were often the best version of that archetype in that slot and were legendaries, so didn't even take up your exotic pick. Uh, um, okay. It, yeah. it was unsustainable. <laughs> Yeah, that's like uh, sheer madness, really, uh, when you lay it out like that. I didn't realize, yeah, that's not even an exotic. Okay, yeah, playing with fire, really. Um, okay, but that's good. But you're kind of like, you're but yearning for a time that was there with that mention. I did. The one thing that I wanted to happen when they announced sunsetting and, and said that, okay, going forward, because of what we did with these guns, uh, any future guns you earn will only be relevant for years. I kind of wanted them to bring pinnacle weapons back. It's like, okay, well, if you're going to take them away from... If you're going to take the toys away from us eventually, (laughs) at least let us have some really absurd stuff. Um, And also, I kind of had to call it out because I have, like, over 21,000 kills on my recluse. Wow. It was basically equipped constantly for a year of my time with the game because it was just that good. Yeah. Yeah. so yeah, it was it was a moment in time that had to end, but what a moment in time it was. Yeah, I think it's beautiful because it lasts, Phil. That's uh, exactly that's good. Uh, <laughs> so what's your number five here? Uh, so my number five is uh, a bow called Under Your Skin, which is uh, one of the newer ones. It's from last season, um, season of the Risen, which uh, it it's. Worth picking out because um, I think it's a good example of what you can do with the new crafting system that is in Destiny. So this is the this is the first like crafted weapon that I put a bunch of time into because I saw its perks. I knew exactly what I wanted. Um, so bows work based on the draw time, uh, and so a lot of bows have varying degrees of draw time and that is just how quickly you can fully charge uh, an arrow before firing it off Hmm. and there are a couple of perks for under your skin specifically that mean if you get a kill with it 
you can it just supercharges your draw time and you can just fire off subsequent arrows super quickly um so that's perks like Archer's Tempo and Successful Warm-Up just pair really well together to really bring it down. And it becomes absurdly fast firing if you land a precision headshot. Um, and when I saw that it came with that, I was like, okay, that's I, I absolutely want that. It's probably not even the best version of the bow in terms of pure damage because it's got things like Explosive Head that I think the community loves, stuff like that. But mm-hmm. it's like... No, this is a specific role I definitely want. I can't be bothered to, like, grind endlessly for it. So, yeah, I've crafted one up, and I've got... Uh, I, you know, the, the kills are getting up to the thousands now, because it, it is just a lot of fun. Um, the reward for getting, like, a precision kill just being this constant, like, tempo of fast-firing shots. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I, I never felt like I could fully click with bows in Destiny, because... They just never, I mean, like, uh, they were nicely, they looked nice and everything, but they never quite had the heft of using some of the other guns. And, like, that counted against them in my head. Like, even when they were good, they felt a little bit weak. But it sounds like this is, this, like, kind of gets around that um, just by its very nature. Uh, Yeah, that's cool. Um, Yeah, so what's your number four, Phil? So, for number four, I have picked out, technically I've picked out two exotics uh, that I was debating. I think I think the official one that I'm picking for number four is Exotic Grenade Launcher with a Horde. Um, uh, yes. So this is probably one of the more unique weapons in the game in terms of, uh, rather than shooting a grenade, it shoots like a ball of gribbly corruption that... <laughs> Uh, if you hit an enemy with it, it'll just do damage over time to it. But also you can hit it on the floor, uh, just fire it at the floor, and it will leave a pool uh, of st- of the stuff there that will just last for a bit and is really good for area denial. Um, it's in a lot of use in PvP. Like uh, Bungie recently introduced Rift back as a game mode, which is from Destiny 1, uh, which is all about taking... It's essentially a capture-the-flag type thing. You, you go and grab a ball from the center and you've got to dunk it in your opponent's rift uh backed by their flag and boy does with a horde get a lot of use there because it's just great for blocking a doorway or other uh, other bits of area denial um yeah yeah anything anything that has that kind of utility and um kind of unique use case and also does a decent chunk of damage is going to be well loved yeah, uh, this gun was like permanently in my inventory because it would solve it. It would just solve so many problems for me. Of like, it's a great no skill gun. Like, yeah. you're like, okay, I'm bad at this, but I'll just plonk this on the ground, walk off, and like three dudes will very slowly die from attritional damage, and that's that's fine as a contribution. And like, also the fact that you could take it into the PvP. And you just run into these wither horde zones constantly. <laughs> oh, it was yeah. messy, but also quite fun, and fun definitely fun when it happened to other people. Um, so yeah, 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 uh, yeah. As an AOE kind of weapon, it was oh, it's, it's terrific. Is this still in the kind of like rotation? Do you still use this and enjoy this, Phil? Oh, absolutely, yeah, um, yeah. It is it's so? If anything, I don't know what I want to say. It's better now. It, it has some really good use cases now in the because they've reworked a couple of the light based elemental classes, um, and they've reworked them to focus on a bunch of keywords 
one of the key words for void elements is devour. And what devour does is if you get a kill, it basically just instantly restores your health up to maximum. Mm. And if you get lots of kills, it will just keep restoring it on a timer as long as devour is up. Every time you kill something, your health goes back. Witherhood's great for that because you just leave a pool down into where a bunch of enemies are about to about to run over and it will do the job for you and you'll just be running away and uh, your health will just keep refreshing itself over and over again because you know things are running into your witherhood uh pool it's really good for the new dungeon where there are a lot of cabal dogs and they are constantly <laughs> biting at your ankles. I do like the idea of like uh, newer destiny mechanics kind of like augmenting previous existing guns. That's that's quite cool as an idea. Um, yeah, as their best, they, they Bungie is really good at designing these things uh, to sort of support each other. Um, the problem is when there are instances where they haven't done that and you you especially see that with uh solar right now which is the one they reworked this season where it introduced or it defined certain behaviors as keywords so instead of burning you have scorch is the keyword and it's just a burn over time effect and if you apply enough stacks of scorch to something you get incinerate is the keyword and that's just an explosion the problem is there are still guns and like exotics that do burn as just a generic effect called burn that doesn't apply to the scorch keyword. And there's still things that cause solar explosions when you kill things with them, but they're not incinerate explosions. Right. And so they don't so so currently they're in this weird system where there's like two different concepts that do the same thing, one of which is supported as an official keyword, and the other, and so, like, ties into all this work they've done to codify a bunch of systems. But also, the uncodified versions still exist in some cases. So, probably some work to be done there. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is why they have to vault content, essentially, because it's already be, yeah. fucking loads of work to maintain what they have. Um, Again, I also wanted to give a quick honourable mention while talking about Witherhorde to uh, its sort of heavy exotic partner, Anarchy, which is another amazing fire-and-forget sort of weapon um, that did electric damage over time and that you earned from the Scourge of the Past raid. Yeah, which we I think we repeated the end of that raid over and over again so different people we played with could get, could get their own. That was, that was the one we farmed, and I'm glad we did because, like... Not long after that, uh, Bungie introduced a mod, a seasonal mod called Breach and Clear. Um, I can't remember which season it was available for, but it essentially meant every tick of an- anarchy did like escalating damage. <laughs> it was so absurdly strong. It you could walk. They don't really do these kinds of archetype-based damage mods anymore, and I think it's because things like Breach and Clear kind of solved the game for a little bit. Yeah. So this was one way you you can you fire it in two places and basically create like an electric trap. That was kind of what you did with it, right? Or well, yeah. multiple places, and then you just created a um, network. The of way traps. you could do it was yeah, create this sort of network of trip wires that pulse electricity. Um, but the way it was usually used was you'd just fire it twice at a boss, and uh, <laughs> so the trip wire would exist on the boss and just do all the damage to that one target. Oh yeah, it's so good. Such a lovely looking gun as well. Just a mm. preposterous. A spiky, uh, spiky but functional looking thing. Um, just great. Um, what's your number three, Phil? My number three is Fatebringer. Um, so this is a gun with quite a bit of history in Destiny. Uh, it was one of the sort of most aspirational 
guns from year one when Vault of Glass was released. Uh, that's because, as I said, like a while back, uh, in Destiny One, kinetic uh, primary guns were all kinetic. They didn't do elemental damage, except for a few Vault of Glass primary weapons, including Fatebringer, which did arc damage, and so was just like the best possible thing you could have. The best hand cannon you could have for like nightfalls and that kind of uh that kind of stuff where uh, where it's difficult enough that you need to care about what shields enemies are enemies have. So recently um they bought Vault of Glass back last year into Destiny 2. Um and they're gonna keep doing that. So Vault of Glass uh, came back last year, and it looks like next season they'll bring back another Destiny 1 raid as well. Mm. Uh, most likely King's Fall, the Taken King raid, but right. potentially um, the one from Rise of Iron, which I think was called Wrath of the Machine. That's one I've never done, so I kind of hope it's that one, although I would be excited to see King's Fall again. Mm. That's cool. But yeah, uh, so Fatebringer is back in Destiny 2, and you can get a uh, special version that has the um firefly perk which is so this is a destiny one trait when you kill something it just makes it explode with big solar damage not incinerate just a solar explosion um but the it came back in destiny 2 as dragonfly which wasn't as good so for the vault of glass weapons they bought back firefly again specifically and it's basically the hand cannon i'm using for everything right now Mm -hmm. um it's it is the gun to do vault of glass for um especially if you can do the master version and get like this time lost version of it which takes special mods um but even if you can't, like a good fate bringer role will serve you well. Uh, it's been I've been using a lot for about six thousand kills now. Looking at my list, that is a tasty looking gun as well. What a lovely, lovely little oh, thing yeah. that is. That's, oh, uh, yeah, that is beautiful. very nice. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, so I mean, Destiny has a very long list of exotic and special hand cannons. It's very much a hand cannon game. Uh, and I very much considered like Thorn, which used to be a terror in Destiny One, Crucible. Uh, it's still a really good gun for Crucible in Destiny Two. Uh, a bunch of other hand cannons like Hawk Moon and the Last Word. But yeah, I think a Fatebringer. It's good legendary pick. It will. It will just again. A, a quality workhorse weapon. <laughs> I do also like the idea that like there's a lot of stuff in Destiny that's now so old they can bring it back round and there's a nostalgia factor for an old gun essentially. Oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah. There's uh it, it's really got that kind of I think it's because they do, they do a very good job of like coming up with good special concepts for a lot of these guns or just good designs. Mm. Um and hand cannons especially, like, the community loves a 140 RPM hand cannon. Uh, there's probably more of them than there are any other archetype of guns in the game. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Uh, so what's your number two? Number two. Uh, so this is from the new dungeon. Uh, it's called Storm Chaser. So this is absolutely just the best heavy pick that you can have this season. Um, linear fusion rifles really had a moment. Um a couple of seasons ago in the in the season before Witch Queen's launch which was an extra long season it was like 6 months season of the lost because Witch Queen was delayed um that had yet another one of these damage mods that basically meant linear fusions were doing absurd amount of damages uh, absurd amount of sort of escalating damage based on the number of hits you took 
but in addition to that, they were also buffed a bit. And so they've just been strong, heavy weapons, even though that mod no longer exists. Um, Storm Chaser comes out, and I guess because it needs to stand out from the pack, it does a burst of three shots. And currently that just means its damage output is exceptional. Um, yeah. There's, you know, I, it's not a gun that I've got, you know, the, the longest history with. I only earned a good version a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, already it's taken me through um, most of the raids I've been doing with the PCG team. It has been with Storm Chaser at my side because it's like this will be a nice burst of damage to help us get through things a little bit easier. Remind me what a linear fusion rifle does in Destiny, Phil. A linear fusion rifle just fires a big laser in a straight line. Oh, um, yeah, that's nice. Nice. So it's slightly different from the regular fusion rifles, which are special weapons that do sort of this burst fire, um, usually in a vertical pattern. Um, still very good, like a lot of good fusion, but linears, like the best one by far is called, um, in terms of design more than damage necessarily, it's called Sleeper Simulant, right. um, which is an exotic that um, does this like very hefty red laser that then refracts back when it hits uh, into multiple shots that do reflective <laughs> damage. That but is, yeah. Uh, yeah, preposterous. But this is a what? This is a beautiful looking thing. This. Um, yeah. This, so this is the current king from, and, and a good reason to sort of grind out the new dungeon a few times to to get a decent roll of this this baby. Don't know how they keep on just making these designs look so tasty after all this time. Like so. Yeah, they they, they manage yeah, to keep all, that. Yeah, all of the duality guns are like that. They've got this sort of nice kind of red flecked obsidian look to them. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, really good stuff. Yeah, very nice. So your number one, Phil, familiar to so me. My number one. Um, um, yeah, I'm sure there's like a lot of potential options here. People might have been expecting, especially because I'm I'm going with newer weapons or or useful weapons now. Things like Arbalist, which is basically the default pick for a lot of high level content. But nope, I'm going with a personal favorite, which is Izanagi's Burden, a special sniper rifle that you can uh, essentially overcharge with a four-bullet round to do just massive damage. Yeah, just the nicest thing I've ever fired in a first-person shooter, I think. Like, um, And makes a preposterous noise when you charge it up, right? Like, a kind of That's lo- the thing. Yeah. The ritual of it is, is what just makes it, like, the best gun in the game. Like, this thing of... You know, you pull it out, you hold the reload key, and you just get the satisfying reload animation as you stuff this sort of overcharged round in. And then, yeah, there's a sort of cacophonous funk of firing it. Yeah. It's like a kind of like a blade kind of sound it makes. Like a, I don't know, just, yeah, just the sound of metal, basically. And then, like, yeah, and then just the, oh, the noise. And also just an absolutely gorgeous looking thing as well. Mm. Like, all of the um, weapons that came from uh, the Forge were like this, right? Like, just these really ornate-looking kind of... They just looked like these boss guns that were kind of like the the, the peak of what the game had to offer, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. Really uh, just good. just a really nice thing. Yeah, so this this was what you were uh, grinding out Forges for a long time for. Um, <laughs> Worth it. I, it yeah. I can't imagine you regretted that decision once you got hold of it. Uh I'm actually really hoping. So, uh, yeah, uh, a lot of the Season of the Forge weapons were kind of a victim of the sun setting. Um, so I've got a couple of them. Like, I've still got my Hammerhead machine gun, which I loved dearly. Oh, yeah, um, that was great. 
uh, still in my vault, or I don't really break it out much because, again, <laughs> sunset weapons cannot be infused, so you can't really take them into anything except the most basic stuff these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but this season, they have brought back a bunch of the menagerie weapons um, from Season of the Opulence. Mm. Uh, so I, I, I really hope that at some point um, they'll be they'll be bringing some of these these ones back, hammerhead and stuff like that. Yeah, but in in lieu of them, you can still get. I think isn't Argy's burden because the the forges are no longer around. I think you just buy it from a kiosk now with some random materials. Yeah, that's uh, but that almost feels like it should. I think it's like a lot of materials to get it right. Like it's not like a an inconsequential <sighs> purchase. I think it is unless you have uh, unless you buy the what was it the Forsaken something or other pack. Right. There's a little pack that basically gives you a heads up on all the Forsaken exotics that aren't available through normal means anymore. I think that's one of them. Gotcha. I think I'm just being protective because I put so many hours into getting it myself. This is the thing. <laughs> you, you sort of build up a little relationship with the effort you go through, and now and now these people come in and they can just just earn it from a kiosk. It was the just ultimate a transaction. Yeah, it was the ultimate FOMO for me because I just saw I, I I you could I could hear you and Tom using it every time, and then like sometimes I would hear the the clink as you both like did the charge shot at once, and then like the two shots in a row, and I was like, what am I going to do? Not have this? Like That's I just it. yeah yeah. If you just see two people fire at an Izanagi's burden, and you just see like this pretty beefy champion instantly destroyed, you're like, okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, a great pick for number one, Phil. Um, well, that's that's awesome. Uh, so, yeah, I, I hope they bring it back too. But thank you so much for joining me and talking about this stuff, Phil. Oh, it's been a pleasure. As you, as you can clearly see, I am happy to talk about Destiny for a long time. Yeah, it's great. Like, I, I thought, okay, well, I'll try and fit this inside 90 minutes. Uh, didn't happen. That's absolutely fine. <laughs> oh, yeah, God. <laughs> <laughs> no, we weren't loads in, but I, I really appreciate your time. So, thank you. I'm, I'm sure we'll have you back on again. We are, like, incidentally going to do another Hitman episode. So, if you do want to come on that one, like... Uh, you know, oh, awesome! Yeah, did you do? You, do you manage to fit Hitman much Hitman three in around your live service games these days? Or uh... um, so, so I played like a decent chunk when it came out, and I need to go back and sort of catch up with a bunch of things. I, I don't think I just don't think I've got the the sort of time or necessarily the mentality for the like speedrun races we used to do yeah. back in the day, like the leaderboard races that we got really into in Hitman Two. I think that's. I think those days are behind me. But yeah, no, I really, I really love that game. That was just a bit of light Black Friday PTSD. I think um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it manifests in some weird ways, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. Like either foolish purchases or like foolish life choices, basically. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, okay, great stuff. Um, where can people uh, find you on uh, social media, Phil? Uh, I mean, technically, they can find me on Twitter uh, at Octada. That's O C T A E D E R. Although I will warn everybody, I don't actually tweet that much it tends to just be a rant about uh, a destiny thing every three months <laughs> yeah. and maybe a yakuza retweet <laughs> i still think that's well worth uh, consuming when it does happen personally and your work can be found at pc gamer occasionally i'm guessing phil as the the big boss man yeah yep uh pc gamer both uh, in the magazine and on the website sometimes awesome yeah, and uh, the podcast can be followed at Backpage Pod. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Backpage Pod if you'd like to support the podcast. I, I will offer for- a Phil £40 after this call that he can go and spend on some Destiny 2 silver if he wants to. That's up to him. Um, but, you know, um, it's, if it's underground, Phil, you don't have to declare it as additional earnings. 
Um, that's how we do things on this podcast, transparent accounting. Um, <laughs> I'm Samuel W. Roberts, and uh, thank you very much for listening. Matthew will be back next week as we return to the Games Court format that is, uh, has no nutritional value, as he says. So uh, look forward to that. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next week. Goodbye. Bye.